Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Crossing Streams podcast. Here we go. Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome to Crossing Streams Podcast, Episode 10. Matt, there's a lot of congratulations to go around. Thank you so much, listeners, for sticking with us. I'm going to throw it to Matt for his uh, amazing title of the week. Matt, I, I have no idea <laughs> what this is going to be called, so drop it on us. Welcome. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 10 of Crossing Streams, a.k.a. the far side of the stream, <laughs> named... Named after the far side of the world, the 10th novel in the uh, Patrick O'Brien, Aubrey Matterin series. This, of course, was one half of the title of Master and Commander, the far side of the world, the Russell Crowe on a boat movie Underrated from about movie. 15 years ago. I love yeah, that I movie. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it. Great I, movie. I, yep. Not amazing, no, but it's really fun. Good. It's good. Um, I think if you want to see really regimented British naval life, this is probably one of the better films you've gotten yep. in that field in and, the last 30 years i mean come on maybe naval warfare around the galapagos islands with russell crowe uh, sign me up baby. Yeah. yeah and paul bettany who is legitimately one of my favorite actors legend uh, so the far side of the stream we're going with i thought you're going uh, dark side of the moon which i think was around the 10th pink floyd album uh they go way back people don't even realize i mean you know of course and if you watch legion tease his girlfriend sid barrett is a reference to the original Dark Side, um, sorry, but original Pink Floyd singer who went, who went, you know, somewhat crazy. I hate to say that. I don't know if he was schizophrenic or or dementia or whatever it was. And Wish You Were Here was a tribute to him. Um, but that was very good. Uh, so Matt, just really quickly before we jump in, um, as we run up uh, the counter here, and I should say, man, we have a lot of things to celebrate. First of all, Bizzlecast anniversary april 4th two years man i can't believe it and you've been with me for a year and a half of it almost so thank you for that i thank you for uh let me letting me be part of this project i uh had no idea this was where it would grow to uh but it's been unbelievably fun i believe bizzlecast 30 was your first podcast the star that trek sounds podcast. right and with data on the on the cover um yeah still epic um, and, uh, we've, we've had the longest podcast, um, in the Bizzlecast. That would be the Batman v Superman podcast, which was longer than the movie and way more fun. Yeah. It probably could be a default, uh, de- like a de facto audio commentary for the un, for like the uncensored longer version that Snyder put out on home media. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and we have one of the shorter, uh, movie wrap up commentaries, but that's also one of the most hilarious ever in the Deadpool commentary. Yeah. That was one of our best, for sure. And then um, we have a whole new series, <laughs> Crossing the Streams, coming out of it. And this month, we've crushed all previous records. We're about to uh, surpass 1,300 listens on the month. 
that I'm aware of that I can track. Of course, it gets downloaded and spread around, and I find it elsewhere, so I can't really track it. But 1300 that I know about, Unique Lessons, it's still going up. Um, it Hell seemed yeah. it seemed sort of mid late last year. Like I wasn't sure if it was going to make it, and, and then it started to pick up a lot. I had some great interviews, and then did some movie stuff. And what I realized, man, is it, <laughs> as bizarre as it seems, people like hearing me talk about movies for two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, my movie commentaries do really well. My Guardians commentaries, my it, it is only behind my Creed Rocky podcast and my Terminator podcast, which was like from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. my, you know, my Guardians commentary um, is is my third most listened to uh, podcast. Um, so uh, lots of good stuff going on. Great that we got to episode 10. Um, being getting great feedback from everybody. I, I think we're getting better each time. As, as we sort of get into the groove of this. Um, so as, as just a transition into our topics, uh, I thought maybe a minute or two of um, retrospection might be in order. Um, okay. We, Let's so retrospect. When you, when you proposed this idea, um, did you feel like at, at the beginning like it was going to be sustainable um, based just on the format and also on the shows? And then knowing, of course, that you had to kind of potty trade me, so to speak, with TV watching a little bit uh, <laughs> to like actually sit down for a few hours at a time and watch television because you certainly accomplished that for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I had I was totally certain that there would be enough TV shows, even if we kept our topics to mostly genre TV, mm. which we for the most part have. I was pretty confident there would be enough content to keep making it week after week, even in the summer times. So that I was not too nervous about. I'm always nervous about what are good viewing numbers, how, what numbers are worth putting in the effort to do this. So that I always sort of leave up to you, in part because you're the one who does the hard work of actually like editing this thing um, and finding music and, and all of that kind of stuff. All I have to do is run my mouth uh, for a couple hours. Uh, and yeah, getting you to actually want to watch TV a little oh, bit yeah. more often has certainly been maybe the biggest challenge, uh, but one I've undertaken gladly. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's been a give and take. I mean, and this is going to yes. come up multiple times this week. Of there are certain shows that you had to be like, look, dude, you really need to give a chance. Like Expanse, which even though we haven't loved the last couple episodes, we'll get into that. I'm so glad I gave that chance. And if nothing else, right. I'm going to continue watching. I'm I'm going to start reading the first. Uh, dude, I was literally about to start reading the first Expanse book, and then the ad drops online. The Will Wheaton, oh, John Scalzi, uh, yeah, yeah. Collapsing yeah. Empire. Now it's only a nine-hour audiobook, which is very short for a sci-fi fantasy book. That's like a that's like a three hundred page book with not with pretty big type. Um, essentially. So uh, I cannot wait for that. A little shout out there to our boys. Um, but, uh, you know, but, you know, even Legion, like I know I only made it fully uh, four or five episodes into Legion, but that's way more than I normally would have. Mm-hmm. Um, into the Badlands, I certainly, I don't think, would have checked out. Uh, we will get to that. Supergirl, thank God. I mean, <laughs> I, you know. <sighs> until the next season of Jessica Jones, I can't imagine not having Supergirl to watch. In fact, the first thing I'm going to do, I know that orphan black, I got orphan black, right? So Supergirl is going to feed to orphan black, but midsummer, man, I'm definitely going back and watching Supergirl season one. I know it's not going to be as good, but I am for sure going back and watching that. So that has been an awesome thing for me. I think it's helped us to have a weekly thing. 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, a little behind the scenes, behind the curtains, Biblicast listeners, Matt and I sometimes have hot takes uh, when things happen on the show or on the internet, and we sort of annoy each other a little bit with a little too much text messaging. But ultimately, I think it results in better podcasting because we don't have to... It's almost like we start our chess games like 12 moves in, you know, rather yeah. than for, just moving pawns for 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that's good. I, I think that's a, that's a good thing. It's like Will Wheaton not showing you the setup for the game on tabletop. It's all yeah. laid out already, <laughs> and then all the little meeples and houses yeah. and whatnot are all set up, so now they can just start playing the damn thing. Yeah, uh-huh. yep. Oh man, I'm so happy I got you in the tabletop. That's that's my biggest victory over the last two months yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, all right, man. Well, this has been great. We're at ten, and dude, we're almost into American Gods and then Orphan Black territory. So I cannot fucking Woo-hoo! wait for the next couple months. I do want to point out one thing, Matt, though, which is we have mostly talked about genre stuff. Yes. But for those listeners who haven't listened to all the podcasts, um, Matt, you know, loves. Breaking Bad, Matt loves Fargo, Matt loves The mm-hmm. Americans, Matt loves um, uh, Mad like Men. The Crown when it came out. I mean, which one? The Crown. Which Matt loves The is... Crown. You like Downton Abbey, right? I yeah. mean, I watched mean, every episode. And, and you like Legion, which really isn't a superhero show. Um, no, but it's a genre show for sure. Yeah, it right? is. It I don't is. know what genre it is exactly. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if mindfuck is a genre, right. but. <laughs> no, but the, my point is just because of timing. It is one of the reasons we've focused so much on genre shows. Um, and when we get to Orphan Black, we're really not going to talk about it. Well, it's hard, I'm not we're not going to talk about it like it's a, not a genre show. It is a genre show. But the main themes and character stuff and so forth, it's going to be more like talking about a drama, for example. Yeah, I exactly. Think. And American Gods is going to be the same way. American Gods is in the sci-fi fantasy section of some bookstores. And in other bookstores, it's in Most. the fiction section. Yeah. Really? I've never seen Neil Gaiman anywhere outside of the sci-fi fantasy section. Well, I think they just have uh, his books featured, like, in general, like, out well, yeah. front. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, to me, that yeah, that's in the general section. So, that would be, actually be a really interesting topic. Two properties coming up, and then we'll lead into this week's stuff, man, between American Gods and... Um, handmaid's tale and so i got to figure out how much right. hulu's gonna cost but i'm gonna find a way to make it available to myself my dad's gonna watch it and you know if we get it we'll make it available to you um <laughs> to watch handmaid's tale those are two books that are technically quote-unquote science fiction books or whatever or magical well and i don't i want to i don't want to ruin american gods um, yeah i'm not gonna yeah. yeah but the point is that those books are technically genre books but they're really extremely important works of fiction that happen to have some kind of hypothetical things going on i think that would be an interesting topic and orphan black fits in that category too speculative fiction if you will sure i mean i think uh i would argue that orphan black is closer to straight sci-fi than those other ones just because it is ultimately about cloning which is a topic that is discussed in plenty of science fiction right um right but the best episodes aren't the episodes where they're explaining the cloning the best are right in fact there's very little actual discussion of the science um which is good so okay man so i've been talking for a while here it's your turn i don't even know how to set this up bizzlecast listeners if you've been listening to us at all for the last weeks months really from the beginning talking about the defenders about iron fist our concerns about this show got horrible advanced reviews continue to get horrible reviews matt as a way of us being a semi wannabe journalists here 
Right. And, and just, you know, assuming we might I have... I am a journalist. <laughs> no, well, you're, you are absolutely a professional <laughs> journalist, but I'm talking about uh, TV, film critics Cri- or whatever. Critic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, could you just set up briefly what Iron Fist is for like the 5% of our listeners that might not be 100% sure before you, well, before you do your thing? Right, like the the property, what it is, yeah. Like, like, oh, okay, what, what it's on, why it's on, and then oh, so oh, uh, yeah, 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 I got you now. All right, Iron Fist is the fourth and final of these solo Netflix superhero Marvel projects that will lead into a series. I think that's coming out at the end of this year. Fourth character, uh, five a mini series called The Defenders. It started with Daredevil, then we got Jessica Jones, then we got. Uh, Daredevil season two. Then we got Luke Cage. That was the most recent before this. Mm-hmm. Iron Fist dropped. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, March twenty third. It dropped Friday, March seventeenth. So a week ago, basically. Um, and it's about a, a white rich kid who loses his parents in Asia and comes back to New York with mystical ninja powers. Well, that's not ninja. It's mystical kung fu powers. Um, and here's what I'm, how I'm going to lead into this conversation. If you guys have listened to me and followed along, you know that I will give the benefit of the doubt and try to find something good in any superhero project. I will, I am very pro superhero content. I will watch mediocre stuff that I find even a little bit entertaining, like Gotham, you know, if I can see anything of merit in it or anything, even just a visual style that's at all unique, mm-hmm. I have nothing to say about Iron Fist. This show is awful at worst and utterly, utterly unoriginal and uninteresting and boring and stupid the rest of the time. Everything about it is bad. It's a complete waste of time. If you are so in love with the Defenders experiment, like you're really, really, really into this plot and you have to know all the continuing adventures of blind guy, black guy, white privileged man, and Jessica Jones, you still shouldn't watch Iron Fist. You should just read what happens in this show because nothing you will watch will be worth it. I'm I'm through five-ish episodes. I will probably finish it at some point, but maybe not until a week before defenders comes out it's mm-hmm. awful it, the pilot is the worst pilot i've ever seen and the rest of the show is so bland and so washed out and so lame that i honestly can't remember what happens in like most of the episodes there's mm-hmm. just bits and pieces of bad acting that blends and churns itself into a mess in my brain um, so i want you to get if you want more specific okay you can tell us how many episodes you've watched you can tell Five. us if there's anything redeemable, no, um, or the the list of the le- <laughs> most irredeemable things, all, all, <laughs> um, I'm gonna disqualify myself from this discussion. Um, and Matt and I sort of had a discussion about this discussion, which was that I saw about seven to ten minutes of the first Iron Fist episode, hated it so much I turned it off and never wanted to watch it again. And I know that as a like wannabe TV film, pop culture, you know, journalist, critic, whatever, I, I, I need to have more discipline on paper. But I also believe that we have free will or should have free will as people to just not do something we don't want to do. And Probably. if I felt like it was hurting our overall product, 
as Bizzlecast slash Crossing Streams that I would, you know, refuse to watch Iron Fist, then I would do it or at least feel worse about my decision. But so many critics that I trust, it's not just that they hated it, but the way they described it was always the same. The fight scenes were bad. The casting was bad. The writing was bad. The shooting was bad. And all of that was clear within the first five to ten minutes. And so I said to Matt... I said, Matt, look, if you're going to watch the first five or ten, ep- four, uh, four or five episodes, and you think the critics are wrong, or at least you know it's entertaining enough to watch, tell me, and I will nope. watch it. And that was not your response. No, there's in five episodes, there's one mildly okay fight scene where he's in a mental institution, and he says this thing about how he discovers that the only time he can focus is when he's in a fight. And so they want to transfer him to a secure blah, blah, blah. And so to do that, for some reason, they first decide to beat the shit out of him. I'm not entirely sure why. Mm-hmm. So they put him in a straitjacket, put him in a padded room, and then all these guys start wailing on him. And he's like in this drug fog. And then as they're hitting him, you can see him sort of gaining his focus and all the drug fog is parting. And then you finally see the Iron Fist effect, which is not a bad effect just in how sort of quiet it is it's just this like little yellow glow and then he busts out of the thing and he beats up all the guys and then he does a running punch and punches through the concrete wall to the mental institution and that like two minutes that's like kind of cool but the rest of it is just off i mean just watch daredevil or better yet watch arrow which has the exact same dark aesthetic it has the same good guy versus ninja theme most of the time because the bad guys are the hand they're the same lame bad guys as the worst part of daredevil season two Mm -hmm. uh you know just everything this show is somebody else has already done better if i see one more ninja assassin i'm gonna ninja assassinate (laughs) myself (laughs) unless it's me you know right that's it um can we talk about critics for a second Yes. Film and television critics. So, as we've discussed, Rotten Tom- and this isn't a super original thought, Rotten Tomato scores are pretty irrelevant. I mean, in terms of, in aggregate, there can be some truths that come out of it. Right. We agreed that Batman v Superman was a 27 or whatever it was. Yeah. We thought Doctor Strange was a little overrated, but it wasn't like way off the mark. Yep. Um, and then they're just purely subjective things. Like most people, including you, would think Terminator Genesis is a twenty-seven percent. I happen to think it's probably a sixty percent, and enjoyed the movie. Um, I would actually probably say, yeah, twenty-seven. I didn't hate Terminator Genesis. I didn't engage with it at all, but I didn't despise it. I just the last couple. I didn't care, which yeah. was kind of my reaction to Iron Fist too, because I don't care about Iron Fist as a character, right? Which probably puts me of the same mentality right. as the people making this show, but here's, but because here's, I don't yeah. think anybody made this gives a shit about this character. And this is exactly the point: is if you give me a few good characters in a movie or a television yep. show, a really good characters, especially in a property I'm predisposed to like, again, Terminator Genesis. We agree, Jai Courtney, not a great actor. That's fine. He was not a good uh, Kyle Reese. However, I did think the Amelia Clark Arnold stuff was very endearing at points in Genesis and made it very watchable for me. I also love the idea of, you know, five foot one Amelia Clark holding sniper rifles that are bigger than her. 
and stuff like that. I thought that was great. Again, Warcraft, another movie that was crushed, probably had like a 20%, 27%. I thought that was a 50 or 60%. I thought there was a lot of redeemable stuff in Warcraft. My point is here is that it's not what the score is, it's what the critics are saying. Like the right. the criticisms of X Men Apocalypse, even though I enjoyed Apocalypse a tiny bit more than most people did, I, I agreed with almost all the criticisms, the specific criticisms, the criticisms of the bad guy, the criticisms of it being jumbled and a mess and too long and too much recruiting mutants and nothing happening and blah 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 blah. blah. I, I agreed. I agreed with all the criticisms. I liked it despite it. The, criti- sure. the criticisms of Warcraft were like... That's like me and Avatar. It's like you and Avatar, right. And I feel like Warcraft, like you do Avatar. Warcraft, the criticisms were very general. It's boring, it's lifeless, it's drab, it's dry, it's you know, colorless, right. blah, 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 blah. I didn't experience that personally. I, it had flaws. You know, Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad criticisms had very specific criticisms, and that's how I feel about Iron Fist. To circle all the way back, sorry it took me so long to make this point, which is... When these criticisms between the critics that I like line up and then I experience that on the screen, I just mm-hmm. I can't stay with it. And I'm yeah, curious how I, you stayed with it for four to five and what was the breaking point for you? Honestly, I had a Saturday free and I just turned it on and I watched – You know, I think I did some other stuff that day. But when I was home, I, I powered through the episodes I could. But then I got to Sunday, and all of a sudden I had work again, right. and I had shows on Sunday night that I wanted to watch, like Walking Dead and Into the Badlands, and then I was suddenly in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and there's all this other TV to watch, and I have neither had the time nor nowhere near the interest in returning to this property that having now read some of these spoilers of what's to come, I don't think is going to pay off anything. No. I mean – Daredevil season two, all the hand stuff didn't work, but at least it had the Punisher who was really engaging and good and cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Everything that I was afraid this show was going to be was true as well. It feels incredibly rushed and it feels like it's not about anything. There's no larger theme. It's not about race or abuse or gentrification or you know, if they make the Punisher show, if they're smart, they're going to do it about the experience of veterans coming back to the U.S. Because veterans have all, not all, but there's always been a large group of veterans who love the Punisher. The Punisher has always resonated mm-hmm. as a character really well with people in the military yep. um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And so that's a story I think we absolutely need to be telling because that's a problem that people come back from war and a lot of them try to kill themselves. Yep. And clearly, Frank Castle has a death wish, like, really obviously. Um, So, again, opportunity to maybe make a larger point. Mm -hmm. As far as I can tell, Iron Fist isn't about anything. There's no theme other than how much privilege is cool if you have it. Um, And it's just, it's, it just is. And what it is kind of sucks. Yep. You know, I, I don't. It's funny. I don't hate Finn Jones. It's not his fault. And I don't and I don't like some of the time he's fine. That's not really being super complimentary, but the problem is anytime he starts talking about Buddhism or quotes a Buddhist teacher or yep. references people who I'm pretty sure are characters from the comics like Shaolao the Undying or Kai Lung the Thunderer or 
Shifu, the August personage and Jade. Every time he opens his mouth and starts saying that kind of mystic nonsense, yep. I started laughing, which I'm positive is not the reaction they wanted. And um, just as a, as a contrast, the first Matrix movie. Right. I guess Keanu Reeves isn't technically a white guy, but he's basically a white guy when it comes to this yeah, he's stuff. He's basically a white guy. That movie, in the, just the first hour, forget the second hour, the action hour, the first hour of that movie introduces and talks about so many Eastern themes in Taoism and Buddhism without specifically calling them out. The only reference right. that they say is, I know Kung Fu, and then they fight in a dojo-style fight. Even there, they're bringing in all sorts of stuff. But the, the amount of Eastern philosophical themes they had introduced in the first Matrix movie is so staggering without them actually having to say it. And it's still with a white guy. This right, is, exactly. Yeah. For one, because he doesn't present himself as an expert. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne is sort of more yeah. deeper into all of this philosophy and stuff. But I feel like you sound like – not you, but a, when you start quoting somebody and you say this person says that, you make yourself seem like some kind of expert and you sound like an asshole. So if Danny Rand just said something like, I feel like a person's purpose is to find their purpose, mm-hmm. a little douchey. But when he says the Buddha says a person's purpose is to find his person, then he sounds like a complete asshole. Honestly, this makes me like Doctor Strange so much more. (laughs) Doctor Strange is so subtle compared to this. It's unbelievable. Honestly, the whole time I'm going, oh my god, I just want want Tilda Swinton back. I mean, oh my god. Now... I don't even want to go in this direction because we're going to start talking about Ghost in the Shell, which is off the topic. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I I will say that it's – in some ways, I think it's good that Marvel's first quote-unquote big failure, even though you and I could agree – even though we wouldn't agree on the properties, you and I could at least agree that Marvel's had some other failures like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the last couple seasons. Nothing's been this much of a misfire. Yeah, it's almost good that they have it all at once. But as we've discussed, I don't know if it's going to change much in the corporate hierarchy of how, how tightly that ship's run. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, mean, yeah. Like, for example, if they have. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, for example, adding Tessa Thompson, who's amazing, to the Thor movie isn't right. going to change the fact that Thor is based on a really disturbing Aryan historical philosophy, for example. And they seem to be handling with such care, you know, I mean, the, 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 the Thor mythos in the movies, which is great because I love Vikings and I love Viking mythology. I'm the show Vikings. Right. I'm fascinated by Viking mythology. But they do such a piss poor job of dealing with Eastern themes. Disney's pretty, you know, progressive these days overall. And I'm going to mention this in Beauty and the Beast later. Uh, we talk about Dan Stevens. You know, they're, it's it's bizarre that they're so tone deaf to Asian culture, Asian actors, Asian themes, Asian philosophies. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I, I this one, I mean, Scott Buck, the showrunner on Iron Fist, has said he wasn't even aware that there were these questions people were having about this show. And that's really about disturbing. Was, yeah. was there cultural appropriation? Was it wrong to cast a white guy as a lead as a kung fu guy one critic by the way made a really interesting point that the only reason that danny rand works as a white character in the comics is because the comics take him to kunlun and show him there and he is an outsider and so it's the story of this outsider in this new world and that only works if he's white because Mm -hmm. he's in this it's technically another dimension but it's basically um a kung fu monastery in china but in the show, 
they don't ever show Kunlun, and apparently the way it at, you don't see it at all in the season. So this whole idea of being the outsider and being white as being an outsider for once instead of, you know, the guys in charge, yep. like in America, yep. it's completely wasted because we don't actually see him be the outsider. It's yeah. just like hinted at and yep. mentioned in asides. Yep. So there really was no reason he had to be white in. Yep. So, okay, I got to bring this in, man. We got to have this discussion. So, right. I've already begun my early barrage of defense of the Ghost in the Shell movie. Not because right. I'm sure it's going to be great, which I'm not. And not because I love Scarlett Johansson, which I do. And I think she's actually really smart. And I think beautiful Hollywood actors and actresses, maybe fairly, you know, aren't given benefit of the doubt when it comes to sort of being self-aware because they're so mm-hmm. sheltered in their little communities. Right. I will point out that Scarlett Johansson has and continues to live in New York City and not L.A. Um, and is raising a family. Why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because in New York, it's a lot harder to be... Um, isolated and if you've ever run into john totoro or other uh celebrities who live in new york specifically on the subway it's you know you can tell that it's a different sort of beast they wouldn't have made the ghost in the shell movie without scarlett johansson it it was not possible she was the one who wanted this project to happen and the what i'm gonna find interesting man um is how the iron fist phenomenon informs or doesn't inform and if it does the ways in which it forms audience reception to ghost in the shell because ghost in the shell it takes place in japan yes and it was written by a japanese guy but it's specifically about how the mind is so much more important than the body and even in the original manga which by Mm -hmm. the way people if you aren't connoisseurs of anime or manga if you read an anime or manga, it's not clear that everyone is Asian. I mean, people were talking about whitewashing right. and Ghost in the Shell. I don't think this is controversial. Like, if you've just read any manga, for the most part, they've tried to change it a little bit more in the modern age. But manga and animes from 70s, 80s, and 90s, they look white with a tiny bit of Asian features. But that's not even important. Let's just assume that they're all actually Asian and Japanese, which, which they're supposed to be. But I will be. say, yeah. though, that Attack on Titan, which is one of the most popular animes right now... It takes place in a community that is very clearly German. I mean, the main character is named Aaron Jaeger. His friend is named Armin. His commander is named Boltz. I mean, he's got a friend named Mikasa, but it's made very, very clear like she is the last Japanese person on Earth. Yeah. So, I mean, the best, the best for 30 years since the Nintendo Entertainment System came out, the best role-playing games on all video game formats are from Japan and take place right. either in Fantastical World or mm-hmm. in other parts of the our world that aren't Japan. Okay? Right. So these people are writing very universal themes. And Ghost in the Shell is specifically Ghost in the Shell is a, is a different translation of what we call the, you know, the the ghost in the machine or or you know, yeah. it's basically about the 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 link between mind and body, you know. Is there a spirit that's a separate entity that's sort of hovering and existing inside our body but that is separate. And that's what mm-hmm. this whole series wrestles with. And so it shouldn't be surprising to people that the director of the 1995 uh, film of Ghost in the Shell 
well, Mamoru Oshii, who, yes, I know he didn't technically create the property, Masumani Shiro did with the anime and the, right. eight, with the manga in the 80s, but let's be honest, everything... Most f- people know it from that yes. movie. The, the entire modern... Just like most people yeah. know Akira as the movie, not yes. the, the manga that came before it. All the subsequent Ghost in the Shell movies... And all the subsequent Ghost in the Shell TV shows and even subsequent Ghost in the Shell mangas are based from the original 1995 movie. He has said from the start he has no problem. Not only does he have no problem with Scarlett Johansson as a Western white woman, Jewish by the way, um, playing uh, the role of Motoko, the major, um, uh, Kasungani uh, in Ghost in the Shell, but that it fits really well with the theme of the being not about yeah. what your body looks like but what your mind looks like. Now, the mind stuff is going to have to be explained in the movie because they're doing a shot for shot remake that's a combination of the first movie and the first part of the first season of the tv show they've got the first five minutes clips online they need to do a little explaining about that and if they don't and the movie's bad then i'll rip it along with everyone else but at least there there's like a reason why you might have a white character here it's like they're rubbing it in your face with iron fist right i'm having a white guy spout i mean not only that he is that annoying rich douchebag that walks around in sandals and tattered jeans because he's thinks he's hot and um, oh my god i I just hate that guy already just looking at yeah oh my god yeah, his character is really loathable. I mean, he's like and, he's like he's like um, Emil Hirsch and in Into the Wild, but they do a great job making Emil Hirsch very uh, relatable, or at least someone that you're kind of rooting for, or trying to understand it. Into the Wild, this is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and it's a it's a stark contrast to what they did with Oliver Queen, whose character, yeah, you know, the it's show has gone up and down. It's been good, it's been bad, but his character is ultimately likable and somebody you root for. And I don't know if you can relate to him, but you certainly feel like you can maybe understand him yes. a little bit. Danny Rand just sucks. He yeah. everything about him, the way he acts, sucks. And I mean, say what it's you funny. will about the Dark Knight movies. Speaking right. of Arrow. Another story about a rich white guy who goes to Asia yeah. and gets ninja but, training. But. but between Christian Bale and the Nolan brothers who wrote and directed it, right? they never rub the Eastern stuff in your face. I mean, it's a little over the top with Ra's al Ghul in the first movie with Liam Neeson. But for the most part, he remains a Western figure who happens to have some Eastern training. Right. And actually, his Eastern training in the movies is really Middle Eastern training. Yeah, I mean, it, or it's in like Western China. It's not like a typical Eastern Chinese or or Northeast Chinese Japanese type thing. Where's where did they say Danny Rand is trained? I didn't even got that far. The name of the community is called Kunlun, which the Kunlun Mountains are a real mountain range in China. The city of Kunlun is an interdimensional place that he's. I think he calls it at one point one of the seven capitals of heaven. Another line that sounds so stupid when you like spoken audibly that you just kind of break out laughing. Yep. Um, so, it, I mean, but it's very clearly based in Chinese martial arts. I mean, he says when he meets Colleen Wing, Jessica Henwick's character, do you teach Kung Fu? You might get more customers. And, and mm-hmm. it's very obviously that Kung Fu seems to be the base martial art that he knows. Yep. And, she knows yeah. Bushido and, and Japanese right. fighting styles. At least they distinguish that. And by the way, man, I, I've never really been able to characterize this, and this has sort of solidified it for me. My, my problem with the Eastern stuff in Doctor Strange was not Tilda Swinton, and it was not the fact that they used a white you know, guy right. from America um, or whatever to be the guy, because it doesn't bother me in The Matrix. What bothers me is they, and by they I mean Marvel, 
they associate the brains that Stephen Strange has as a doctor and just an intellectual mind as the type of brains needed to be someone who succeeds and becomes advanced in spiritual matters. And if you know anything about Eastern philosophy, you know the Yoda line, you must unlearn what you have learned. Right. There's a reason why Luke Skywalker is so powerful. He doesn't need to be intellectually powerful. The spiritual instinct is completely different from the intellectual instinct. The intellectual instinct of being a doctor or, you know, an academic or whatever is to overthink everything, to deconstruct, Mm -hmm. to analyze, to overanalyze. That's the opposite of what a kung fu master or, or, uh, you know, or a yogi or someone trying to achieve enlightenment is. And, and that's what I think Marvel going back to, you know, Steve Ditko and, and Stan Lee and everyone in the sixties with Dr. Strange got wrong. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. let's have a really smart Westerner, and that'll translate into being a really smart Easterner in terms of spiritual matters, and that's that's just not on point to me. And that's I, why I Keanu Reeves. With all that. Well, that's why Keanu Reeves works as Neo. He doesn't need to be the right. smartest guy. Yeah. He, in fact, I mean, he he doesn't know anything. Really, yeah. I mean, he's a good hacker, but he, I mean, which does aid his training a little bit because he is able to grasp the general idea that computer programming can change and so if you can accept that all of reality is computer programming well then you can change all of reality so i think his hacker background which could be a thought of as a western training even though it seems like it's a training he's sort of come by on his own so it's not like he went to i you know i doubt thomas anderson was a computer science engineer major in college but there's a reason why the, the, the guy who revolutionized Apple computing twice was not a programmer, Steve Jobs. I mean, he right. knew how to do some programming, but that was Wozniak's thing. Steve right. Jobs yes. was, was a was a big uh, big picture guy, and and after he left Apple the first time, before he came back to Apple, he spent a lot of time in the East. He it, did. As smart and successful and rich as he already was, he knew there was a part of his brain that he was not using, and so mm-hmm. he went to seek spiritual counsel, and he credits that and and hallucinogenic drugs and other things, LSD and yeah, stuff, yeah. With, with expanding his mind. And this is just not getting communicated in, in any of these wannabe eastern properties um you can you could transition to badlands if you want man or you can keep going on iron fist i'll I'll, i'm gonna leave it to you i mean i i've said just about everything that i had to say about iron fist other than that even if they i don't really know why they picked this character because this set this premise makes the least sense with a plot that's supposed to be street level there was no reason they had to use iron fist yeah he's one of the better known defenders but there have been a ton of them and you know who never was a defender jessica jones not until very very recently when they wanted to put out a comic series that would tie in basically to the netflix shows so they just found us right they found a street character that worked and they integrated her perfectly into what they want to do i don't know why they picked this guy who has magic powers and who gets his powers by fighting a like literally a dragon I think in the comics and his whole deal is a supersonic like punch this power set doesn't work at all for this setting and it just the obvious discord between what Iron Fist is and what the Defenders is supposed to be it almost tanks the whole thing before it gets started um, but what I would say is if the fights were cool I could probably get past a lot of it, but the problem is the fights Horrible. are bad too. They're really boring, yep. really uninteresting, really bland. Yep. Um, and 
this show that is trying to, I think, take something from Wuxia filmmaking, um, which we need to clarify something last week. We yes. talked about two words, Wuxia and Wushu. Wushu. Wushu is a general term for Chinese martial, martial arts. arts. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Wuxia, W-U-X-I-A, it means a martial hero. And it's a specific type of fiction that includes movies and TV uh, in generally Chinese culture. Um, but it's yeah. stuff like Hero, the Zhang Yimou movies. Right. Crouching, means you know. Wu means martial and Shu means mm-hmm. arts. So it means a right. martial hero. Right, and Sha means yeah. X-I-A, it means hero. hero. Yep. So one of the real hallmarks of Wuxia movies is a pretty bright color palette i would say or at least a vibrant color palette and very inventive fight scenes i mean most people would say the most iconic fight from crouching tiger hidden dragon is the treetops battle yeah because we've never seen anything like that in the west and the scene where they attack zhang ziyi in the um uh, the bar she's drinking at or the restaurant where she's like run, ba- flying up and down the yeah. stairs and she kills like a balcony. thousand people. Yeah. Right. Like the verticality of that fight is yep. also very not American. Um, and so unlike iron fist, which doesn't have inventive fight scenes and has a really dark, really boring color palette into the badlands, which is a mediocre written and acted show. At least it's getting that right. That mm-hmm. we got this, pilot i'm sorry we got the season two debut wasn't great the stuff i didn't like about season one has not been corrected mostly aramis ramirez as mk is really kind of punchable all right so let's Um, let's do let's do a hard transition here um okay get us up to date with just season one there were six episodes i've seen all six i haven't seen all of uh the newest episode from season two i had mixed feelings about it it was entertaining overall um, so just get us get us up to date with where we are. Was this because we're going to talk about renewals coming up soon? Was this right. a show that was like for sure going to be renewed, or it was a surprise? It seems like this was sort of maybe a surprise that it was going to be renewed. I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean the first season ends with a cliffhanger, but I am pretty sure they had no idea if this was going to be renewed or not. You know, a six episode thing that debuted kind of in the waning ep- weeks right. of Game of, Thro- of uh, Walking Dead before Fear the Walking Dead started up. No, I think yeah. they had no idea what, what was going to happen with this show. It was a very um, general cliffhanger, though. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. they were leaving it open, for, you know, whereas Game of Thrones Season 1 was clearly leading towards Season 2. So basically, the plot of this show, I don't really want to get into it too much. The main character, Sonny, is a clipper. He is basically an, a hired... Goon. I, I mean, he's a yeah. he's part of the guard that protects his baron, played by Martin Sokus. He is sort of a half of an assassin, half of a, a musketeer, kind of in the protect the king kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the sort of military force of this world. Every baron's got their own clippers because they clip people. Mm-hmm. Um, they fight hand to hand or with swords or with throwing stars as opposed to guns. Guns are kind of outlawed um and uh, the whole season one is about the widow another baron played by emily meacham wanting to take power and conspiring to do so they should have gotten danielle pannebaker yeah emily meacham's not that good um sunny he has a bunch of adventures none of it really matters he has a family he's trying to keep them secret because clippers aren't supposed to have families 
it ends with him being basically sold into slavery and his family sort of on the run and his cult, his trainee, MK, who has mystical powers. Um, okay. Basically, if he like gets cut, he gets taken over by this rage and suddenly he's super strong and invulnerable. And mm-hmm. he's goes off to a monastery kind of taken by force to get trained how to use his power while Sonny is sold into slavery. Is it? Oh, oh, oh no. Okay. Here's my first general question. Yeah. Is it just impossible structurally to make the Padawan or apprentice as interesting as the master? Because if you look at the entire history of this stuff, I mean, Morpheus is more interesting than Neo. I mean, I love Luke Skywalker, but Obi-Wan and Yoda are endlessly fascinating and keep getting reintroduced into all the Star Wars media. Anakin Skywalker was paled in comparison to Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan it's one of the, and Yoda, again, only, some of the only cool parts of the prequels were, were the and masters. And even Suri and McDermott. I mean, yeah, yeah McDermott to Vader. Yeah, uh-huh, yep. And here we see Sonny is such an annoying apprentice, makes Anakin Skywalker seem like a pleasant guy. I mean, it just <laughs> – is it just always bad casting? Are they Do they just focus on trying to get kids? See, here's the thing. This is the one that makes the least sense because in Star Wars, they try and get characters that not adults will like but that kids will identify with. So right. that makes sense. You know, but this doesn't make sense. Are they trying to get kids into the show by having a guy who looks like he should be on a bad Disney Channel TV show play the role of MK? <laughs> I mean, give me a fucking break. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't really have a, a good answer for why they decided to saddle this pretty cool character with a kid's sidekick who is annoying and Horrible. asks questions all the time. I mean, Robin has worked frequently as a sidekick to Batman. He worked in Lego <laughs> Batman Sarah. movies. Yes. Yeah, he, he was terrific. I mean... When the sidekick makes the hero question something, yep. you know, or find a fault in himself and correct it, yep. that's kind of what they're there to do. Yep. The problem is Anakin doesn't really expose anything Obi-Wan needs to correct, and MK doesn't really expose anything Sonny needs to correct. Yeah. So there is this question of what are they there for? Yeah. Unless I, I would it's because their own story is interesting, but it's not. I, I would argue that re- when Revenge of the Sith works, which is very choppy, yeah. it, it's when... Anakin is being a little arrogant or something, and Obi-Wan uses the wrong method to try and corral him, either by giving him faint praise to kind of make fun of him and put him in place. I mean, Obi-Wan is trying to find a non-aggressive way to put Anakin in his place, but he's already overtaken by Anakin's supposed charisma or whatever. At least the logic is there, you know, even if it didn't always come through in the writing and execution, obviously, in Revenge of the Sith. This makes zero sense. I never buy this particular uh, Padawan-Master relationship, if you will. Yeah, I I don't really buy it either. And, I, I mean... I mean, Ezra I Bridger on Rip Rebels. The writing is, the best. is just generally not that good on this show. It's not good. Um, it's really you know, not good. Yeah. We've said this is an entertaining show that's yep. not a very good show. And that's okay. You can have a guilty pleasure show or a show you kind of like because of its corniness. At least this show has a pretty good color scheme. I like the vibrancy of it, and it has cool fights. I mean, in the first five minutes of the season two premiere, we have this fight where Sonny has got the – it's like one of those old like – I don't know how to describe it. It's like his head is encased in wood and his hands are encased in the same plank of wood. So he's kind of like his arms are outstretched and he's just sort of trudging along. And he fights these people 
with this thing on him until so he's got to like right. it's get like it cap, lodged. It's like cap in the elevator with his arm stuck against the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, what are they called? Gallows? You know those things? Uh, uh, or oh, a, a stockade? Yes, the stockade. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a mobile one of those. It's yeah. not built into a platform. It's he's just it's just traps his head in his hands. Yep. But he's got to fight all these people with it, and it's a pretty cool fight scene. You know, he gets he has to. He jumps up and gets it caught above two shelves, so suddenly he's much higher in the air, and he can oh, kick yes. people in the face, and yes. he like grabs their swords with his hand that's trapped in wood. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool fight scene, and uh-huh. at least it has that to save the show and make it fun to watch yep. in a way that Iron Fist has nothing. Yep. Um, so, uh, so really, yeah. I've skip iron fist i i'm still not convinced anything that you need to you're going to need to know for the defenders plot yes. which is obviously now going to be about the hand yeah uh, and honestly even though i'm going to watch it at least for part of season two if you're not really into martial arts stuff skip into the badlands i'm just going to say yeah then then it has nothing to it the characters are not they're not going to go down as like the greatest yeah. characters ever and here's at what's all. so interesting man you know I, i'm on record a ton of times saying I, I wasn't thrilled with movies in 2016. The reality was there were some good movies, but your proposal to me in late 2016 to do a TV podcast was more um, appealing and re- continues to be because it's not that w- there weren't, you know, I, I did have like 12 movies last year that I really liked. And by the way, Bizzlecast listeners, breaking update. It is 12, 11 in the morning on Friday, March 24th. And I just got an email from Amazon that Rogue One <laughs> is ready to download, baby. So as soon as we're done, I'm doing a commentary. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's interesting that our reaction to shows this year has been so, so, so far, I think fairly. And, and of the top uh, eight grossing um, movies at the box office uh, in this year, man. Mm-hmm. Seven of them have fresh ratings and high um, uh, um, watcher ratings. Beauty- yeah, it's been a really yeah. good start to, well, let me to just the movie this. season for sure. This is the, these are seven of the top nine movies of the entire year so far. Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Kong Skull Island, which I'm going to see with my dad, which is I'm not going to love, but gets good ratings. Logan, which is through the roof. Get Out, which is completely through the Hell roof. Hell yeah. The Lego Batman movie. Hell yeah. Hidden Figures, which continues to make money at the box office. Uh, is amazing. It's been out wow. forever. Hidden Figures, still making money. And John Wick 2, great Hell reviews. Yeah. Now, as I talked with Matt, we're not going to talk about it. I didn't love John Wick 2. It was nothing really about the movie. I, I just feel like I could have been fine with one, but it was certainly well done. And it, it's interesting to see the back and forth because 2015 from a rewatchability, I mean, between Creed, Avengers Age yeah. of Ultron, and The Martian, do you know how many times I saw those three movies combined both on the screen and on, to, on DVD? You want to take a guess? I would say between the three movies, probably somewhere in the vicinity of 12, maybe 15 or 18 even. I saw them 19 times total in the theater and at least 12 to 14 times more afterwards. And see, I know you don't like Mad Max. I think that is an extremely rewatchable film. So I would add that to that. I would have watched that a bazillion times. I mean, I've seen it. I think I saw it three times in theaters yeah. and at least twice on TV. It, it, it's just, you know, we don't have to debate. No, it, no, no, we don't have to debate. But, but what do but what do Ultron, Creed, and The Martian all have? 
pretty happy endings that you kind of earn in various ways. Yes. I mean, you know, and, and actually, and, and uh, Mad Max has a decent, you yeah. know, up a beat I, I ending. Think it's yeah. a hopeful ending. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As opposed to Logan, which we agree is amazing but depressing. <laughs> yes. But, like, I, I could see myself watching Lego Batman a couple more times, honestly. I mean, I'm really happy with how movies are going this year. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And we haven't gotten Guardians of the Galaxy, and yep. Guardians 1 is extremely rewatchable, and I am still pretty optimistic Guardians 2 is going to be really good. My prediction um, on Guardians right now, it's going to make a billion dollars. It could reach Avengers territory. I don't a billion know a billion, but... Oh, it, oh. The first one made seven eighty eight. True. You think it'll get that much of a boat? I mean, I hope you're right. That would be awesome. Oh yeah, it's gonna make a billion dollars. I think it's gonna beat Civil War, which made a billion in, in one hundred. Um, okay. I do think though the, the the critical reception will be slightly chillier than the first movie because Probably. it's harder to pull those tricks as we've talked about. Sure, you're probably um, right. There. So we're going to move on. I just want to do a quick uh, movie update. Logan is about to surpass X-Men Apocalypse to become the third highest grossing X-Men movie ever, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic that, you know, numbers one and three are rated R efforts that have been in the last year. Mm-hmm. And the other one, although not everyone loves Days of Future Past, is at least an adult, mature type of movie. It's a, it's a thinking movie, um, which is great to see. Um, it seemed like Fox was dead, but maybe they can pull something out of their ass. So, I, yeah, I, Fox, what they've got to figure out is how can they get the same quality out of the mainstream X titles as they've gotten out of these two side, not side projects, but I think you know what I mean in Logan and Deadpool, yeah. you know, in that both, neither of them are Brian Singer right? and neither of them are really like X, I mean, Deadpool is barely an, a mutant movie. I mean, I've said you don't have to know anything about the X continuity oh, sure. to get Deadpool. And Logan is extremely detached from everything else that's happened. Yeah. Um, and, and they did The Martian, which was A, not a traditional Ridley Scott movie, and right. B, not a traditional sci-fi big budget movie. It was made on $100 million. Mm-hmm. So between those three movies, which were all critically acclaimed, it did very well at the box office. Why can't we get more Logan's, Deadpool's, and Martians? I'm not sure. I who knows. I guess we'll see with Alien. So, all right. Speaking of not Fox, uh, do you want to move into uh, CW here? Yeah, let's move to CW. All right. So there's a lot. Which to talk was a about. lot more fun to watch than yes. fucking Iron Fist. Yes. I hope you guys <laughs> stuck with us this long. Uh, the last yeah. sort of rant epi- over. We're gonna get positive now. We're gonna get super positive. Last week was a bit of a, also a bummer episode because we were disappointed. Although if you stuck with us till the end last week, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we got a little loopy, and I think it was was pretty hilarious. So we'll try and channel some of that here. So um, so I, I, let me just set it up, man, and I'll I'll throw it to you. So as you guys know. I have been watching Supergirl religiously. I love it. Uh, this week's episode wasn't amazing. I-, I liked it a lot. I have a lot of notes for it. I was pl- already planning on watching The Flash this week because it's the musical episode um, starring Supergirl, which we will get to. Um, I was actually planning on watching The Flash episode from last week too, man, the Speed Force one. I just didn't have a chance. Um, but I did watch the one this week. Um, I don't think we'll talk about Arrow. Maybe you'll mention Legends, but why don't we talk about I Supergirl? Seen it, so no, we won't. Oh, you're right. So why <laughs> Why don't, we, why don't we talk about Supergirl and then that'll lead into The Flash because the episode yep. of Supergirl led into the episode of The Flash. Go ahead, buddy. Exactly. So Supergirl, you know, was finally 
for one, I think this was the best episode yet for Chris Wood mm-hmm. as Monel. This There's was a Paul Rudd the, thing going on, by the way. I finally put nailed put he he's got a, a Paul Rudd. Yeah. He's 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 like good looking but not too good looking and he's quirky and he's a little insecure but in like a relatable way. I really like him. I, more and more. Yeah, for sure. Yep. You know, this episode brings together all of these little hints that have been going on throughout the season that there is more to Monel than the security guard of the prince yep. who just manages to escape Daxon's destruction. As predicted, as most people figured, it turns out he is in fact the prince of Daxum and his parents played by Terry Hatcher Woo! and Kevin Sorbo, boo, uh, have come. Sorry. Kevin Sorbo is a Christian. No, no, no. Anti-Semite asshole. Yeah. We don't like also, him. I just wanted to be yeah. clear that we weren't booing at Terry Hatcher who we love. Yes. Yeah. Terry Hatcher is great. Anyway, they've been searching for him forever. They've tasked the dominators to help them, help them find their son, which is why when they find Monel on Slaver's Moon, they bow to him. And finally, this ship comes to Earth, and Monel is reunited with his parents, Queen Rhea and King Largand, which is a nice little thing they did there because Largand is the real name of Monel in the comics. Um, mm. So I like that they threw that in there. Like anyway, it's an okay episode. You know, what it's about is Supergirl realizing that Monel has lied to her. And realizing that his part in making Daxam what it was, was much, much greater. And she is furious with him. And she ultimately can't figure out how to reconcile that against the person that he is trying to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the arguments between them feel heartfelt. The emotions feel, you know, they resonate. They don't feel forced. It ends with a breakup that then gets resolved in the second part of the episode in The Flash, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it all works out happily in the end, basically. Yep. Um, this is brilliant casting. Before you go on, right. I'm sorry. And this is the Paul Rudd thing, which is part of the reason Paul Rudd is so successful, other than being hilarious, is that girls all really like Paul Rudd, but it's because of his sense of humor and his personality, as well as, well as being a handsome guy. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is also hilarious, but he is just a gorgeous human being. I mean, as a hetero guy, I could acknowledge openly yeah, sure. Hemsworth is a specimen, you know? Um, and what's great about Hemsworth is he's not afraid to make fun of himself as being a specimen in Thor right. movies and Ghostbusters and elsewhere. But Monel, first of all, he's not too tall. It was very important that they have someone not much taller than her because right. she's supposed to be powerful and be the powerful one in the relationship. And they have. He's made, also not too bulky. You know, he, he's not he, too bulky. He's he, he right. just looks like a guy, yeah. and that's Paul Rudd's appeal yes. too. I think is he just looks looks like a, like a regular guy. Yeah. Like when he plays Ant Man, yes, you buy him as just this dad who doesn't quite know how to reconcile with his daughter because his yes. life went to shit after he went to jail. Yep. He has this very approachable air to him yeah. uh, in a way that Chris Hemsworth is so good looking and yeah. so uh, he looks like fucking Thor. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's hard to kind of not be in awe of somebody like that. Yes. Yeah, Monel has a very relatable vibe. The clothes that he wears um, and, and his sort of uh, jokes, sar- sarcasm jokes, you know, are very much in the CW vein, but they don't feel mm-hmm. forced the way they are with Curtis and other characters. 
Yep. Um, and he, he I would he, also yeah. say that uh, he feels like the guy you'd want to take home to mom if you're a girl, right? As a hetero girl, like sure. I, it totally. And feels I think that way. probably yeah. a lot of guys can relate to him in that yes. he is because he doesn't understand Earth culture mm-hmm. is frequently saying the wrong thing. He yes. doesn't know how to act. He's not good with girls, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or at least not the way men are supposed to act with yeah. girls on. Yeah. Earth. He's you know, he knows how Daxamites treat women, but he doesn't right. want to be that way anymore, which, but he doesn't know what to be instead. Which mirrors I, perfectly her lack of ability to identify with guys sometimes, you know? Like right. her awkwardness around guys. It's great. They use yeah, they're using the alien metaphor every which way. It's fantastic. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I just wanted to point out that he I, I liked him from the beginning. He seemed a little bit like, okay, this is clearly the gonna be the boyfriend guy, but he's really grown on me and this episode was a big jump. Yeah. I really like him too, and it does actually make me a little bit nervous about what's going to happen to him moving forward. Because in the comics, Monel gets lead poisoning and has to be shoved into the Phantom Zone for a thousand years until he can be cured, and that's how Superboy loses one of his best friends. So there's no way the Supergirl possible. writers are going to be holding to that if that gets in the way of their storytelling. Is my feeling, but who knows? unless they only ever envisioned Chris Wood as a one-year no, character, no, 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 no. I, I don't think so. I hope not. He's staying. But- He's for sure staying. I think people love him. I don't know. I don't track the Supergirl followers, but my feel. I, I can't imagine. You, I mean, of all the male characters on the show, that you wouldn't like him. It would make no sense. Yeah, I. Uh, and, no, and, I think and the other thing around, about him. But- you know when he like his sometimes misplaced attempts to like defend her honor or whatever right but, but you feel like he really wants to fight someone with like normal fists not superpowers you know like he's totally yeah. like the the smaller boyfriend that's gonna fight some bigger guy out, out of some you know misplaced uh masculinity you, you know what i mean like well, we see know, all yeah. of that in the mixias patelic episode yes exactly yeah you know where he challenges him to a fucking duel on the yeah. set of hamilton um <laughs> Another Hamilton reference yep. in this episode, by the way. I, uh, I I noticed. I thought of this when I was watching the show. Mm-hmm. One of Hillary Clinton's highest profile fundraisers during her presidential campaign involved a private showing of Hamilton, where they actually rewrote a couple of lyrics for her, as I understand it. I really think this show is making a reference to that, a very sort of oblique reference to Hillary Clinton with its connection to hamilton yeah you keep uh, using that example my example is after trump was elected like three days afterwards trump jr and family were at hamilton in new york and like after the show they made like the cast came out and they made like a very oh, impassioned plea him, for yeah. tolerance you know and was it they, him or i thought it was mike pence oh it was pence you're right it was pence it was was it pence or ivanka i can't remember it was someone no i'm pretty you know. sure it was pence because it was yeah. the lgbt thing because right right you know thinks electrocuting gay people is a fun idea yeah uh, but anyways both of those things i'm sure and they they for sure were trying to get uh lin-manuel to be involved with the musical episode i researched back to last year before the season started and really he he, he definitely appreciates the shows i just think he's way too busy and expensive yeah. I'm positive he's way too busy yeah. uh, and, and probably expensive. And expensive. I, yeah, he's developing. Like, I think Lin Manuel Miranda can. Char- I mean, he can charge Disney money now to write music. Um, well, he has technically been in a Disney music writer, so there you go. It's true. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah, but I love it. Anyway, the Hamilton stuff is great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then when the the Daxamites show up, one of them literally says, "Make Daxam great again." So yep. you know, 
we've said before this show is not afraid to be on one particular side and and it's clear which side it's on yeah um, by the way did you notice what uh manel and and cara were watching um cara or oh god cara cara were watching at the beginning of the show game of thrones yeah they're watching game of thrones <laughs> and they're trying to it's figure been six it out seasons and yeah. winter still hasn't come yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then they start talking about musicals yep, which they is oh musicals. yeah yep. you know it, it, it's a parallel to how the flash episode starts yes. and you know i i wish they'd established a little bit earlier in either character's history that they like musicals but it yeah. it works fine so, um yeah so anyway the hamilton yeah. gag actually yeah. uh if you'll forgive give me a moment mm-hmm. it there's a reference in which when they, this alien wants Hamilton tickets to help them yeah. and asks <laughs> yeah. Alex, how are you going to do it? And she says, one of the guys is from Rimbor five and he owes me a favor. Yeah. So Rimbor is a, uh, is a planet from the comics that include whose most notable character is a character named ultra boy who has one of the stupidest superhero origin stories maybe ever. Mm-hmm. And I would love it if you would just let me, teach the our listeners this stupid ass story yeah yeah and, it's, and he, he asks for orchestra level seats as right. well which is hilarious uh cool. which by the way people if you're ever seeing an epic musical you don't want to be in the front few rows it's not the best way to experience <laughs> it i saw hamilton about 10 rows back and it was one of the best thing i've ever seen in my life cool um uh, yeah so i, I know that's like story? that's like my thing you know people were like oh fancy pants i'm like i didn't know it was going to be a mega sensation i just knew lin manuel i had seen in the heights a bazillion times i yeah. knew who he was from wesleyan i had a bunch of people in the theater program i saw one or two of his plays at wesleyan and i didn't see hamilton right at the beginning but it wasn't a super sensation at that point you know everyone has the cds now and knows it by heart i, I don't even have the music um i, I found it I've actually a little exhausting the music. i mean i know like one line from from yeah. it that's it i i actually have very little yeah. connection to the play I, but. I i found it exhausting at the time to be honest with you it was like three hours of like of like scat rap singing um right you know, in retrospect you know i wish i had realized how much of a sensation it was at the time um but it was mm. a great experience and certainly is um as as someone who is a political history nerd and I've, i i literally i'm not making this up i've always been a fan of the federalist alexander hamilton because yeah i thought yeah. hamilton was a cool character when i learned about him yeah. in us history because he's who we're fighting for today we're fighting for federal laws to protect people from right. other rich people and other people who shouldn't have power like abortion for example you know i mean right. like you know although the real hamilton was borderline a monarchist i mean he really believed in concentrating an obscene amount of power at the federal level so i'm not sure yeah but his he was solution because was he was afraid of either but part of it was because he was he, he hated and was afraid of the slave owners getting too much power so he right he kind of foresaw the civil war long before it happened so I, from mm-hmm. that point i can understand and by the way george washington who was a southern slave owner really liked and trusted hamilton a lot and that's part of what informs his character he was nowhere near as monarchist or uber federalist as john adams for example who he fought True. with um he was more moderate than john adams uh so uh anyways uh this was all great now we knew that th- this was going to lead into the musical episode right with the flash um we don't have to argue about it because in this case we knew that they weren't going to start it until the flash i actually was surprised that they led into it i thought they weren't even going to do it until the flash did you know they were going to tease it no i i honestly thought that uh um actually before we get into this so yeah. can i tell my stupid comic story thing 
Oh, uh, yeah, real yeah. Quick. Yeah, go ahead. So, Rimbor is the home of a superhero named Ultra Boy. I'm and sorry, this I thought is the you origin. were just referencing th- that it, this existed. I didn't mean to cut off your story. No, this story is so dumb, I actually want to tell people go. it because it's kind of funny. Do so, it. all right. Rimbor is a uh, it's a very nasty planet gangs and ruffians and villains everywhere uh to to quote a different science fiction property you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy than rimbor and into this world is born a character named joe nah j-o first name n-a-h last name and joe nah joins a gang and one day he decides to steal a spaceship and he takes it joyriding, and he goes off into space. And what the hell happens to him when he's in space? He gets eaten. And what eats Jonah? A giant space whale. <laughs> and he's living in this giant space whale for a long time, and he's about to starve to death. And he says, okay, screw it. I got to eat something. So he eats the stomach lining of the giant space whale. And after eating the giant space whale stomach lining, Jonah gains superpowers and becomes the hero Ultra Boy. He has all the powers of Superman, but he can only use one of them at a time. And with that, he is able to escape and join the Legion of Superheroes. So that is Jonah, the great whale-eaten superhero. (laughs) Not related to Ming-Na. No, but very much related to Jonah of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, I know. They, they love this biblical shit. Yeah, it's, yeah, except I think here they're more just making fun of it than yeah. anything else. Uh, it's more like Pinocchio than anything else. Anyway, so let's get into The Flash. Okay, so the musical episode of The Flash, we knew about this for a while. It could not have possibly lived up to my expectations because I had such high expectations for it. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy who loves. I I dislike most musicals, but good musicals I fucking love, and uh, I, I you know w- had very high hopes. Um, there wasn't much that actually didn't live up to my expectation. I, I will say that uh, both um, the the actors who play Cisco and Wynn, whose names right. are remind me, Carlos Valdez, Carlos Valdez and Jeremy Jordan, have really good voices. Um, yeah. And they weren't like auto tuning their voices. I could tell. Like those well, guys can really sing. There was a reason they chose to include those two side characters in this project. Had amazing mm-hmm. voices. They were great. I loved Joe West as a gangster in an alternate Jesse universe. Martin. Jesse Martin was fantastic as a gangster um, in alternate universe. Almost makes his character more interesting. Um, Melissa Benoist has a very good voice. But mm-hmm. what was fantastic was even as she was singing, I'm going, ah, she's a little flat on some of these notes. And then they made a joke about it in the fucking show. Who said it? Yep. Who was like, yeah, you got an okay voice, but you were flat on some of those notes. Well, it just killed me. And then I'm going, when is Grant Gustin going to have like a solo? Because I know he's the best singer of all of them. And then mm-hmm. they save it for the love song at the end. And dude, yeah. I fucking love that. That was the, that was the, and this is the thing. And, it, <laughs> And this is the payoff, you know? I mean, for all of the romance between him and Iris, a lot of which hasn't made sense or rang true all the time, and you've talked about right. this, and I've seen some of this, and I really like Iris. My problem with Iris has always been the writer is not giving her enough to do, not the actress. But, it, it, you know, this all starts with, with young Barry Allen saying, you know, musicals are... What does he say? He's like, musicals are better than... Um, musicals make everything better. Musicals make everything like better, that. which is a corny yeah. line, but it, it saves their relationship at the end, you know, and, and it does make their relationship better. So I, 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 
I think this is an episode I'm perma saving for now on my DVR and probably going to rewatch really? a few times and just really, really enjoy it. And the fact that it was a little incoherent plot wise at times actually made it more endearing to me. So I'm curious to hear your review of this. Uh, I consider landmark television episode. Yeah, I mean, I think the conception for this show was clearly we've got all these people who can sing. Why don't we just fucking do a musical? I mean, they had two character actors in Benoist and Grant Gustin who were from Glee. Mm-hmm. Jesse Martin was part of the original uh, Rent cast on Broadway. Victor Garber has been, uh, who's Professor Stein, the uh, you know the old white guy. He's great. Has been a theater actor for years, and John Barrowman as Malcolm Merlin got his start in the West End London that. theater district. So, so clearly, funny. all of them are trained singers. So they just said, "Let's do a musical." And when Malcolm Merlin, me, I'm sorry, I took you off. When Malcolm Merlin showed up at the beginning of the episode, I was clapping. I was so excited <laughs> just that he was going to be involved. I'm, I was amazing. Right? Yeah. As Cutter Moran. Yeah. I, <laughs> they make I like that they make jokes about musicals in the musical where it's like, man, everything is much simpler in musicals. Yeah. Like they just have to give like one speech. It's like, oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. Let's go tell our dads or whatever. Um, yeah. I loved all of the that like Brooklyn uh, speech patterns. I don't know what to call it, uh, but they all kind of talk like Harley Quinn. Dialect? Uh, Accent? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is, but th- it's – it's like the guys and dolls accent, which is probably the musical that this is maybe the closest to, maybe a little. Um, I don't know. Well, they all sound uh, like you know, radio there's a little, voices. There's a little West Side the Story yeah. in it, obviously, with the lovers from the rival houses. Yeah. You know, both alike in dignity. Anyway, yeah. um, well, it sounds like it sounds like radio voices from the 30s. Well, you yeah, you recently yeah. watched the um, Fortune and Glory episode of of Tabletop. Where they right. have uh, yes. Felicia Day's uh, brother and Will Wheaton mm-hmm. do the like they're like oh, no we got chips at three you know like they were all sort of talking like thirties right. pulpy you know characters yeah. like probably people didn't speak like that back then but that's how we no, think people talked did, and so it's fantastic yeah or uh, or like Scarlett Johansson's uh, character yes. in Hail Caesar yep. which was a Coen Brothers movie from two years ago that was really good where you, yeah. she says something like. She plays a an actress who is in mermaid pictures, and she's like, "What do you want? I'm wearing a fish ass." Um, but did yeah, you, I did. You ever hearing see, them um, all talking that voice is really good. Did you ever see uh, Midnight in Paris? The no. uh, oh, uh, Woody Allen, the Woody movie? Allen movie with Owen Wilson, where he goes back in time and it t- hangs out with uh, Tom Hiddleston, who's playing F. Scott Fitzgerald, and a whole whole host of like the twenties literary man. scene. Um, yeah, it was a, a similar sort of vibe. Yeah, it's like the speakeasy thing, you know. I mean, right. it, it's an easy genre in some ways, but they made it fit with the characters and and the. Yes. I mean, when we had characters from all four series in that episode too, which was fantastic. Yeah, you're right. The only thing um, that was missing was Willa Holland. <laughs> <laughs> who i mean she has many other talents maybe she's not a great singer i mean maybe. they didn't let ben cavanaugh sing that's true um and they didn't let david harewood sing so anyway i i love this episode i thought it was a return to the fun and the light that this show that the flash at its best has yep. and has really gotten away from if anything it made me a little bit angry that why can't we have this kind of tone every episode why do we have to only get it for the big event episodes like the crossover with the dominators or which was also really bright and fun or this um but this was really well done these all the songs worked 
you know, I loved the Super Friends song where Great. they sing and then they stop and make jokes as they're singing, which is a very Broadway thing to do. Yeah. Um, well, it's a very Hamilton y thing to do, that's for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I feel like there's a lot of kind of classic musicals where they're singing and then somebody will stop and make an aside in tune with the song so they can just get back into singing. Um, you know, if you ever mess up, you can change time. Actually, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, I, right. It's the, we're creating a song, but we're going to be self-aware that we're creating a song while we create a song. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I liked how much fun the actors were all yes. clearly having making it. I mean, yes. there's a really infectious attitude to the whole thing mm -hmm. that made it really, really enjoyable. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I've heard that the, uh, the final song that that Grant Gustin sings to Candace Patton is getting a ton of downloads. Unsurprisingly, running home to you, yeah. maybe. Um, I mean, what a great romance song! Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was so well done. It was so fun. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I continue to think that Gustin and um, Amel are at their best in the crossover episodes for whatever reason. Uh, Supergirl's great no matter what, you know, um, and. Yeah, I mean, again, I've been talking about this. Seeing Gustin smile and emote and not look like he's going to cry all the time and like have yeah. all the. It's. I don't. I almost wish he played. He's a good actor. Yeah. Do you feel like he's almost. I almost feel like he played. He, uh, let me put it this way. I almost feel like he should play or they should write him to play a little bit more cocky as the Flash would make sense. Almost like Spider Man a little bit. You know, like a little bit yeah. more wise, cracky, cocky, just to get him smiling and and feeling himself. You know, he feels like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, which he does. But at his but age, it's getting old. And it's getting slot. It's getting yeah. lazy. The and I think I I told you privately that I think if they could create a bad guy that isn't posing a direct threat to Barry, where it's just a threat they have to stop, it might actually allow for him to have a little bit more of a sense of humor about the whole thing. Yeah. But when Every villain he's facing hates him personally and wants to murder everybody that he loves. It's really hard to have more than basically one reaction to the whole situation. Yeah. So, um, I also think in the first season of The Flash, there was a great balance between Barry Allen, the science nerds, and Harrison. Right. Um, what's his name? Wells. Wells. And as much as HW or whatever his name is, is hilarious. HR, HR is really funny. But they they should have him continue to be a central character, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. there was just such a great rapport in that first season between the whole team. And Iris had stuff to do, and Joe had stuff to do. But I could say this about Arrow Season 1. I mean, all the Arrow mm -hmm. characters, other than, you know, Captain Lance or whatever, had stuff to do. Yep. Even Laurel had some more interesting stuff to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when you st start removing things for people to do... And you don't develop your characters or the bad guys or the story. I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, they should tap into whatever the Supergirl writers team are doing because they're clearly having a blast and trying to have Supergirl do as many diverse things as possible. So I don't, I don't understand. I agree. Yeah, and I think this returning to something you said last week, Supergirl has a slightly smaller cast of core characters. Yep. It's basically Kara, Alex, John, Wynn, and... Monel, that's it. You know, Jimmy has been completely relegated to the side. Yep, and that was the worst um, part of Supergirl was Guardian, and the worst part of Flash was Wally West. Yeah, 
there's just too many people in Flash, and I think stripping it back down a little bit would let the characters they've got left shine more. And Arrow, when it was Oliver, Thea, Felicity, and Diggle, and that's it, that's when that group is at its best. But now we have three to four new guys who are all varying levels of bad, and it's definitely hurt the show. I mean, I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. all the way through three seasons, and I stopped not because the reviews were bad, but because I felt I had a good experience of Mm -hmm. three seasons of that show. And I think I didn't like season one as much as you and some other people did, and I think I liked season two in particular, um, and three to some extent more than some people did. But But the development of Fitzsimmons was so key to me enjoying that show. And the inability to increase the roles of, of, of Valdez, and particularly Panabaker, is just, I don't understand, because they clearly have acting talent and charisma and range. I mean, just seeing Killer Frost shows you that Daniel pa- Panabaker can act all sorts of different ways. So, yes. the sidelining of all female characters in every CW property other than Supergirl, again, is not clear to me why that's going on. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Right? They should, they're the ones pioneering it with Supergirl. But then when it's any of the other shows, it's like, we sideline Felicity. We sideline Thea. We sideline... Well, I don't know about Canary. We kill, we kill Laurel. Well, they put we, her yeah. on another show. Yeah. So. So, um, all right, man. Well, this, this is a good time to check in with CW. So we're almost at the end of the season. We're probably like, what, five, six episodes from... Uh, yeah. I mean, Legends is done in two weeks. Uh, by the time this comes out, Legends will be about 10 days from its finale. Okay. Uh, I guess one of the nice things about being on earlier in the week is they don't have to take uh, time off from March Madness. Um, I true. Think. Yeah. And I think they just they like being the follow-through after the uh, Flash. I think so, they've definitely gotten a big bonus from that. Okay. So what is the – do you mind if we bridge to the, uh, the, the, the final few topics here? Um, Let's do it. What is the – so w- when they started moving Battlestar Galactica to Friday or Saturday, mm-hmm. th- the later seasons, it-, it seemed like they were trying to tank it for some particular reason. Now, sci-fi at the time, I remember, sa- you know, that was when DVRing was, was like really a thing already. Mm-hmm. So their rationale were, look, the majority of our people are either DVRing it or getting it via iTunes or digital download. Um, or they're people who who are just at home Friday nights and right. will stay home to like watch me. it. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Like I'm a nerd. It's not that I never go out, but I'm just as likely to go out on a Thursday, maybe more likely than right. I am on a Saturday. I, I I actually don't like going out on like the going out nights. Particularly, I just don't like big crowds and stuff like that. Whatever. Um. So maybe they're right about that. So what's the rationale for Orphan Black on Saturday night? I know HBO and the and the um the premium channels have have uh, sort of taking a hold of Sunday night, realizing that their watchers are in thirties and forties and have families or young families. Yeah. And it's actually good time. Or from black Saturday night, you think it's mostly again, because people are DVRing or they're nerds or they're getting in other ways. Yeah, maybe. I mean, BBC America is one of the only channels that I know that really has tried to create a block of, of viable viewing time out of Saturday evenings. Planet Earth 2 is Saturday evenings. Doctor Who airs Saturday evenings. I think Broadchurch, which got a lot of acclaim when it came out, was a Saturday show. For whatever reason... But that's different. I'm sorry. But Broadchurch and Doctor Who are imports from BBC UK. Orphan Black is specifically a unique BBC America show. I think. I could be wrong. 
no, you're right about that. It was made for BBC America. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yes, that that is accurate. But I think it probably says something about the the um, the way that that channel looks at its product that it at Orphan Black that it says we've got this original thing that is as big a draw as these long. Well, Doctor Who is like a 50 year old show, mm-hmm. um, and we can put it up in the same time slot and and do okay in ratings right. and advertising revenue and whatever. Which, by the way, maybe it's because all the other yeah. slots are taken, and so their Saturday is the one they've decided to yeah. carve out. But there, there are some movie theaters around here that are showing the Doctor Who. Doctor Who premiere on the big screen. Yeah. Like it started point. doing that with the 50th anniversary three years ago. Yeah. Um, so American Gods is also going to start on a Sunday. Um, yeah. Uh, Sunday, the 30th of April. By the way, um, it may be on stars in this country, but I believe it's being distributed via Netflix everywhere else in the world. That's interesting. Yep. Um, uh, Neil Gaiman was addressing this on his, um, his, uh, Twitter feed or whatever. Um, and, and maybe that means it'll come to Netflix quickly after it. And airs. one topic that we should research, by the way, man, and then we'll move on. Yeah. Before American Guards, Gods started, was that it was right. supposed to be on HBO for a long time. Oh, that's interesting. And then he eventually uh, said fuck it and took it. Uh, in 2013, he announced on Reddit that it w- was still in the works, but no longer at HBO. And then hmm. HBO in 2014 says they could, quote-unquote, could not get the script right. We tried three different writers. We put a lot of effort into it. Some things didn't happen. So it will be interesting to see if American Gods is Legion-level weirdness or even more weird, whether this will end up being a commentary on HBO. Actually starting to paint itself in a quarter a little bit in terms well, of, I, of, of tone of of its big shows, right? Yeah, I mean, I get the sense that I actually almost wonder if HBO didn't develop Westworld as its Sunday night offs, you know, between Game of Thrones yep. months show because it couldn't make American Gods work or maybe because it already had Westworld in the bank and it 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 couldn't have two. I mean, HBO I would argue maybe pioneered the Sunday night uh like time slot because the Sopranos was the first thing I remember being on Sunday nights where it was sit down and watch it TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, Sunday is a really good night for the premium channels. Game of Thrones airs Sundays, Westworld, Penny Dreadful on yeah, Showtime. Yeah, you put the kids to sleep and you watch a couple hours of TV. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, I bet, I'm going to guess that like Dexter, when it was on the air, was probably a Sunday night show. Mm-hmm. So whatever reason, that's just a very good time slot for those premium channels. So a, c- uh, a couple quick American Gods things, because I think it's, it's fair for us to start teasing some shows coming up. It's not too far yeah. away. It's interesting casting. I will say, uh, I don't think this is hubris because Gaiman is a brilliant and realistic guy. Mm-hmm. They're already kind of planning future seasons. I oh, think yeah. they think the first season is going to be a big success, um, which I'm fine with. You know, I'd much rather they plan it, even if it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, then they'll be ready for it. So th- I don't know whether this means anything to you, but they say the second season is intended to cover the lakeside section of the novel. And a big pivotal uh-huh. thing that happens to Mr. Wednesday will be in the second or third season. Now, oh, yep. I know what that is, having not read the book. So I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. But uh, like with The Expanse, I think it's smart to break up the book and not rush it. Oh, for sure. Because it's so I, epic. I mean, yeah. it's so epic and it goes all over the place. And there's so many 
Gaiman is a really great visual writer. Like he, he really paints these really beautiful scenes and there are so many really gorgeous visuals in uh, the book that I would much rather they spend the time to really craft these scenes mm-hmm. and craft fewer of them per season. Yep. Um, I will, and it's certainly yeah. long enough that you could stretch the, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't the Hobbit where you're like trying to find six hours of movie and an 150 page book. Yep. There is plenty of material in this for three seasons. Yep. So maybe five. I want to point out that the two main showrunners, one is Brian Fuller. Mm-hmm. He worked on Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep yep. Space Nine, Next Generation, um, Dead Like Me, um, and some other interesting shows, Pushing Daisies, which w- yep. was highly acclaimed. Mm-hmm. He was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, Brian uh, Michael Green uh, was raised Jewish in New York. It, he's responsible for Kings, which I've praised, even though it was canceled quickly. Smallville. Also with Ian McShane. Also with Ian McShane, which I'm about to get to. Smallville, Sex in the City, and Heroes. Heroes is a show that in more capable hands could have been really cool and was in some ways ahead of its time, even though it was kind of trashy. But it's, it's If the writer's strike yeah. hadn't happened, yep. Heroes would have gone on to be a much bigger deal. The first season was fantastic, yep. and then the writer's strike happened. They brought in Scabs to write the second season, yep. and they killed it. I mean, they, they ruined all. It was so bad and yep. so wrong that whatever momentum they had after the first season died. So listen to this, though. This is the most impressive thing, Michael Green. Mm-hmm. He has four film writing credits this year. You ready for this? Yep. Logan. Cool. Blade Runner 2049. Cool. Alien Covenant. Cool. And Kenneth Branagh's new- newest interpretation of Murder on the Orient Express. Cool. This guy's got cred. And... He collaborated on 2011 Supergirl reboot in DC Comics. <laughs> if this show isn't good, then we need to give up on television. This certainly has all of the makings for it. I hope one review I read suggested people who aren't Gaiman like cult worship, cultists, yeah. and I definitely am. He does wonder whether or not they're really going to respond to this really weird setting. Yeah, and this Legion, I would say the same thing about. When, yeah. And we're going to get to Legion. Right. When you told me it was renewed, I was shocked, not because which it wasn't it was. quality, which it was. We're going to get to in a second, but because I thought it was going to be too weird for people. But you know what we found out, man? People are cool with weird. Yeah. If it's well definitely. done, they like the character. So I'm about to get to Legion in one second. But I just want to mm-hmm. mention a couple casting choices in American Gods and get your... Um, your your uh response to them okay okay i think we can both give two huge thumbs up to ian mcshane oh hell yeah who was maybe my favorite part of john wick 2 yeah he's so good cloris leachman always two thumbs up Mm-hmm. Classic, oh she's as uh utrecht naya something like that Zoria, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 jillian anderson or Gillian mm-hmm. Anderson from the X Files. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah. Orlando. Uh, wait. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. In the last, this this is casting is bizarre because this guy hasn't been famous in a while. Is mm-hmm. Dane Cook as Robbie? Dane Cook's character is not a major part okay. of the book, so I don't actually really mind that. I um, is Easter a major character? 
Yes. Okay. Her, her she, name is Christian Chenoweth. Uh, yeah, Christian Chenoweth, yeah. married to Aaron Sorkin. Uh, yeah, she was, you know, she was on the West Wing later, oh, yes, and yes, 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 I think yes. she's a country music singer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She's her character doesn't really play a big role in the early part of the book, so I don't know how much screen time she's gonna get. Yeah. Um. I mean, if no offense to this this lady but if tandy newsome what's her name tandy newton tandy newton if she can get an emmy nomination for a piece of shite like that show is westworld yeah then i'm totally cool with some non-traditional casting of these shows because she's yeah. not a storied actress who's been particularly great in the past no but we have you have neglected to mention several other ma- really no it's a cat so Peter Stormare as Zernabog, which Peter Stormare is just fucking awesome in everything he's ever done. Yep. Oh, there he uh, is. Yep. Uh, it's Orlando Jones, right? Orlando as Mr. Jones. Nancy. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And yep. it's Liev Shriver as Mad Sweeney, right? They don't have him listed, but I'm. It's some. I'll have to look that up later. But as, who's the character? It should be Mad Sweeney. Pablo Pablo Schreiber. Oh, Pablo Schreiber. Yeah. Him, I don't know, unless I do. Yeah. Um, no, so Schreiber. I'm sorry. Why did I, I think, think Lee Schreiber's Schreiber? got his own franchise to be concerned about at the moment? Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, very promising. I'm excited. Uh, this is a classic case of me not going to read the book ahead of time, partially because I know the, some of the major points of it, and I just want mm-hmm. to enjoy the show. And I know I'm going to read it eventually. Probably smart. It just doesn't make sense, right? It's like with The Expanse. I want to ride The Expanse show out for a while, and then you know I have the first book, and eventually I'll read it. So anyways, it seems like a dream team, at least the major cast and the people behind it. So for sure. God bless. And it should be noted that uh, Pablo uh, Schreiber was nominated for an Emmy for a role on Orange is the New Black, uh, so obviously yeah. a very talented actor. It's a dream team. They got a dream team going on. It, it should be great. So Also, okay. he was on The Wire. Oh. Nick Sabatka? Oh, he played Nick Sabatka? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's season two of The Wire. It's the one season where it's white people are the, are the main bad guys, and it's one of those seasons that it seemed like a blip that wasn't great between one and three, which are classic, but on repeat watchings, it actually explains like how the drugs get here. It's through the Greeks and the, you know, the, the role of the Catholic church in the whole thing is actually quite good. So, so Nikki yeah. Sabaka. Yeah. He was on also orange is a new black. Wasn't he or, or something? Yes. Yeah. I just said, yeah, that guy, Oh, that's the guy. Yeah. Cause my dad yeah. watches, uh, loves orange is the new black. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah. Got an Emmy nomination. For yeah. His role he's great that, so. in the wire. That was one of his first roles. So, all right. So we don't this have a ton of TV role actually. Yeah. We don't have a ton of time. Um, so our, we're going, we are going to run through a couple shows at the end. Uh, listeners, crossing streams, listeners, whatever. Uh, we're going to start doing some rundowns in the next few episodes. Cause there are, there's so much television going on right now and it's going to be mm-hmm. more soon. So we won't have time to cover everything. We really wanted to cover iron fist, CW, badlands yep. to a certain degree. So I think Legion will be our last major topic and then we'll run down a few things. Sure. So I so wait. Do you mind if I ahead. start this? Go ahead. Okay. So, depending on how well you know me or where you know me from, you may be surprised, shocked, not surprised, and not shocked that I went to go see Beauty and the Beast in the theater tonight, which <laughs> in which Dan Stevens uh, of Legion fame, who's uh, Legion, 
plays the beast he voices the beast he plays himself physically at the beginning and at the end and he does motion capture where it's an unbelievably i mean this is like planet of the apes but even better um cgi renderings of of semi-human faces uh in fact, the biggest problem with the movie is that they're like, oh, he's a big, scary beast, and he's actually a very appealing-looking beast, <laughs> like like in the cartoon, you know? You have to mm-hmm. sort of pretend like he's scary, because he's really not that scary-looking. Um, and on top of that, even though I openly love the Disney uh, renaissance of the early 90s with Aladdin and The Lion King, even you you are horrified by The Little Mermaid. I hated The Little I Mermaid at the was. time just because... I didn't hate it. I was yeah. scared by it. Well, no, I hated it at the time because my sister was obsessed with it, and she was singing it and oh. playing it and watching it all the time. But in retrospect, I actually really liked The Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast was my least favorite. It felt the most musically. I didn't like the songs. The story seemed cliched. You knew it were it was going i mean you always know where it was going but Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about beauty of the beast man it's the only major western fairy tale slash disney fairy tale where the whole point of the movie is that it's not love at first sight right i mean every other major you know aladdin love at first sight little mermaid love at first sight you know i mean all the major the fairy tales that we're used to as love at first sight and this one is specifically right. about learning to love someone despite what they look like. And I had, even though it has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, though 85 or 89% viewers, which is what I'm more concerned about usually, um, some reviewers who I respect, like A.O. Scott from the New York Times, really like the movie. And what I was hearing from reviewers that I trusted was that it was a somewhat dark and self-aware and, uh, and pol- even political kind of movie. And mm-hmm. it was. It dealt with PTSD. It met, dealt with hypermasculinity. It dealt with. Uh, uh, it dealt with um, ha- having strong female characters in tr- in circumstances where traditionally you don't have strong female characters. Um, it, it dealt with you know women having to kind of train men to be normal human beings, uh, which is a, a real and important thing. You know, one of many 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 important things that women contribute to our society is you know demilitarizing men. Um, and the contrast between the beast who is kind of tamed uh, versus Gaston, who was awesome, played by Luke Evans, who, by the way, <laughs> I always forget to say my favorite part by far of the Hobbit movies is Luke Evans as Bard, who's such a memorable character from the book, who's such an out and out good guy in the Hobbit book, but plays <laughs> it really in a complex way, given the limitations of the movies is awesome in the, the Hobbit movies, but he plays such a disturbed Gaston. But in this movie, he he's coming from a war, which could be any number of French revolutions or, you know, uh, Napoleonic things or whatever. And, it, you know, he's clearly already a fucking douchebag, but he's, he's further disturbed from having gone to war. There's gay themes throughout. His sidekick right. is, is, like, clearly gay for him in the movie. And this movie mm-hmm. was, like, almost banned. I think it is banned in Malaysia and a couple other places because yeah. of the gay themes in the movie which are openly celebrated um and uh you know bell has bell played by emma watson who's so fucking good i just saw her in an amazing movie called colonia with uh daniel Bruhl from a couple years ago that's on netflix Hmm. based on a horrifying true story of michael nyquist horrifying true story of a german couple in chile during the pinochet um takeover in the 70s um and, and uh 
um, Daniel Bruhl uh, plays a real character, a real life character who took who taken photos of some of the horrors of the Pinochet regime, just you know mass murdering people, and they were taken to this colony, Colonia, where uh, do you remember the 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 horrifying religious leader in Orphan Black? In the first couple uh, seasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who sews the he impregnates Helena? Impregnates Helena and sews that sews the girl's mouth together, and so take that, yeah. make him Michael Nyquist in a thousand times horrible, where he's like raping young boys and and Handmaid's yeah. Tale level imprisonment of women, and they're testing poison gas for the Pinochet regime yeah. on the people in the colony, and, and like horrible, horrible cult, and this was a real thing, and it was her, and it's it, it's not an amazing movie, but between her. And Brule just absolutely kill it. Emma Watson is just the perfect, you know, uh, Belle for 2017. Super empowered. She's the most empowered person in the whole movie. She's the one that's making everything happen. She stays by choice, which was in the original cartoon. Um, but you know, she she's really the one calling the shots the whole time. There's very little damsel in distress. They really accentuate that she's the only literate woman in the village, and they don't like her because how smart she is as a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the female empowerment stuff is really present in the movie. Anyway. I just want to give a shout out. I thought it was excellent. I don't even love the first original movie. I don't really like the music. My least favorite parts, although visually the the, the musical scenes were excellent here. Uh, my favorite parts of the movie were, were, were the dialogue and dramatic stuff, which was very funny and very mature. I mean, there were some clear political references in the dialogue, and people were gasping in the audi- in the audience at the sort of the balls of the filmmakers to bring in such mature themes to Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. It barely got a PG rating. This could have almost been a PG-13 movie. So I just want to give a shout-out to Disney. Um, and, I'm gonna, and much love to Dan Stevens, who was fantastic as motion capture, acting, voice, and everything as the Beast and then the Prince. And by the way, man, I looked this up. Since 2010... Disney's yeah. put out like under the Disney umbrella, like not Marvel, not Star Wars, like Disney right. Disney movies has put out about three dozen movies or so since 2010. Wow! Of the three dozen movies, the only ones I've seen are this and um, oh shit! Wait, I had it right in front of me. Hold on one sec. I'll cut this out. Um. Since 2010, the only other Disney movie I've seen other than this is The Muppets in 2011 (laughs) and On an Airplane, Tomorrowland, which was terrible. (laughs) I did not see the BFG, Finding Dory, Alice Through the Looking Glass, The Jungle Book, Zootopia, Cinderella, Into the Woods, Frozen, Brave, Pirates of the Caribbean, on and on and on. Never seen seen any of these movies, so I'm not a Disney homer. I do like Marvel a lot. Well, and I Brave love Star is a Wars. Pixar film, right? But, I'm, but I've been, I haven't even seen any of those. Oh, and Queen of Katwe is the other one I've seen, which is fantastic. Right. But I, I thought this was really excellent. Sorry, just wanted to do a plug there. Um, and cool. Dan Stevens was great. It was sort of a little funny reveal at the end because they do the whole he turns to the prince, but he's facing the other way, and the camera kind of slowly zooms into him and he turns around. I almost started laughing because he's like Legion, you know what I mean? I mean, he's a very good looking guy, but he's not, you know, he's not like a uh, a super, he's not like Chris Hemsworth, you know, like you're almost expecting. No, he's Chris got Hemsworth. a kind of angular yeah. head a little bit he does look good when they uh, dress him up though they give him the long hair and it's funny actually she makes a joke when they're dancing at the very end like about him he should grow a beard and it's obviously a reference to you know 
him being hairy as the beast, but also that he may look better in a beard. I don't know. It was, again, very yeah. self-aware and very funny. And they had awesome, awesome chemistry. And he did walk around on stilts and shit wearing a big thing, you know, that they mo-capped later. So they acted together on stage, and then they acted together in the studio as well when he had to do his lines. So they definitely developed a relationship. And God, is he a lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> for getting to make out with her so disney's doing some good stuff man so on the other end yeah. of dan stevens career is legion which got renewed i'm sure you're pumped about i just talked Absolutely. for a while i apologize go for it buddy that's all right so yeah legion got renewed and as we'll get to uh when we get to it next the expanse also got renewed this week and 12 monkeys got renewed uh, we probably won't talk about 12 monkeys this week but it's its renewal is a little bit shakier than the expanse Mm -hmm. or legions. Uh, Yeah. This episode, you know, legion has confused us for five for the first half of the season. And now it is really starting to pull together some of the strands and explain some of what's actually going on. And so we find out that yes, the monster is in fact a mutant named Amal Farouk, the shadow King, uh, which is this bad guy that Charles Xavier fought a long time ago. Blame the Muslims. I, whatever. Um, <laughs> and what's interesting is, so the, the origin for Amal Farouk is that Charles Xavier meets him in Egypt and they engage in a big psychic battle and then he kills him in psychic land. And so they're just staring at each other and then Farouk drops dead, but then they show you what's going on when they're battling in the astral plane and it's really vibrant. But his character is this big blobby fat guy. So the depiction of him as the devil with the yellow eyes is not actually an inaccurate portrayal of how he looked before his body was killed. Um, But, you know, we see a flashback with the wheelchair with the X spokes, uh, you know, so we get our first really obvious point out that David Holler is Charles Xavier's son when they basically the last episode ended with David Holler's mind trapped in what he perceives as a uh, coffin until another version of himself appears right next to him speaking with his normal British accent saying, I'm your rational mind here to help you work through this. You're in your own head. That doesn't mean there's really a coffin, right? He said, no. Okay, so now imagine you're in a classroom, and he does, and suddenly he's in a classroom, and he, with British him, are able to work out what's going on. They do this sort of animated chalk drawing of his dad, who's bald, even though he doesn't know what his dad looks like, fighting the Shadow King. Uh, And David Holler even briefly breaks into a British accent that kind of sounds like an imitation of Patrick Stewart. Um... And so, you know, they give the origin, they get out of the hallucinated mental hospital that he, the Shadow King, has trapped them in. Jermaine Clement and Bill Irwin are just fucking hysterical, being weird next to each other and at each other. Um, A really good episode that is really starting to pull back a lot of this stuff and draw it all together. If you like um, Jermaine Clement, you should definitely watch some Flight of the Concords. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think I might have to. It's really good. And they're short episodes, too. They're comedy, like, you know, 23 minutes. There's there's a couple of really great lines with him. One of them is like, I'm sorry, I, I, I lose my train of thought sometime. My mind is very, what's the word? Dishes? No, wait, that's wrong. <laughs> and there's another one that's like, I had a wife, right? Yeah, Melanie. Yes, Melanie. 
Was she Chinese? No. <laughs> not Japanese. Not Asian at all. All right, accepting that I have a wife that's not Asian, and I still don't totally believe you about that. Yeah. And then they get into the discussion of the monster. Um, I mean, his, his humor is similar in the show. What's great about Concords is they were sort of making fun of hipsters before most people were aware that we should be making fun yeah. of hipsters. So, yeah. The little bits and pieces of that that I've come across definitely seems like it's making fun yeah. of that of a, oh, yeah. a specific type of person yeah, yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. way that Portlandia is, which is another show that I think is yeah. I don't watch it a lot, but I think it's extremely well done. Right, but but um, but the difference is, Flight of the Concords A has music, which are hilarious, right, the music videos, and B it's not as sort of cripping, cripplingly overly ironic the way intentionally overly ironic the way Portlandia is. I yes. like Portlandia, but Flight of the Concords is. Fun. It's undeniably fun, even while being satire. Sorry, go ahead. You've seen the Portlandia Battlestar episode, right? Oh, of right? course. With with, with okay, Olmos I, I, and uh, and Baltar and yeah, yeah. <laughs> James Callis. Yeah. We're getting into a weird place mentally. Yeah. I've never been to space. Every time I hear the 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 mu- the opening music when I watch an episode, I think of that episode. You know, right? They're like one week um, later, four weeks yep. later, seven <laughs> months well, I later. I guess I'm quitting yeah. my job. <laughs> Well, now what are we going to do? Anybody ever seen Doctor Who? That's yeah. like 50 seasons. Yeah. Um, and it's great anyway. because it's great because James Callis understands what's going on, but I'm not sure Eddie Olmos is quite understanding what's going on yeah. like, <laughs> in the episode. Yeah. Go ahead. I like the idea they just find a guy named Ron Moore. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That was Ron Moore, though. But I thought Ron Moore was a white guy. Yeah, he's, a, he's got the, the goatee that's run with the long hair. That's Ron Moore. Right, but first they find a black guy. Just oh, randomly yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the Portland, actual run more Bro- comes. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, yeah. Anyways, I really like This is brilliant Legion. casting. I love that the show yeah. cast someone like him. It's great. Exactly. Yep. You know, I think, I think Legion is starting to reward viewers for going along on this journey with it. Yep. I'm not going to say that everybody who's been, who's struggled with it is going to be totally satisfied, you know, I know you found it a little bit maybe too off-putting and I'm not sure this is enough to save it for you. But for me, I feel like kind of trying to think this one through and stay with this has been made worth it by some, a couple of pretty good episodes. And this one was really cool. Um, it just, I, and I, don't, I think next yeah. week is going to be even more cool. Yeah. It's for me, whether it's a movie or TV show where people are going crazy, like, Bird, yep. Birdman really worked for me, right? I, it, but I know a lot of people who hated Birdman. I totally get it. I, I think for some, in some ways, movies where people are going crazy, whether it's like Memento or Fight Club or Birdman, like it just works for me better in a film setting. It, right. It's the week after weakness of it. I, I can tell how brilliant the show is. I just, it's just, it's not off-putting in like I don't like it. I don't think it's good. It's just, yeah, it just it fucks with my brain, which I know is what it's trying to do, and and so it's accomplishing that. I guess one of the fundamental differences between TV and movies is that TV, a TV show, it will grow and diminish and ebb and flow, and it changes over time, and you have to be willing to go along with that a movie is just a movie you might like it more like it less depending on how often you watch it or how much time you take between watchings or what your personal frame of mind is uh you know when you watch it on any given night but it's still that's it is the movie 
Now you could say you could take a franchise and and the franchise gets better or worse. The Marvel movies or the the Matrix or Star Wars or whatever. But a movie that's all there is. A TV show because actors come and go, because writers come and go, because showrunners come and go. It will change over time, and your experience with it on any given week, even just week to week, will change. Oh yeah. Um, and you have to be willing to to go along with that tidal way, tidal force, I guess, or current of a TV show in a way you don't necessarily have to in the same way with a movie. I would also say, I don't think they they named it this way on purpose or or like purposefully in this way, but. Calling Rachel Keller, Keller's character Sid Barrett is actually accurate on a couple of levels because this show is kind of like Pink Floyd in that it's very smart and it's kind it's very unique and it's pretty progressive, but it's also difficult. It can be an unpleasant thing and it can be hard to access, especially if you're not really into its specific style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a Noah Hawley guy, for instance. Um, and I think that's a fair crit- criticism of Pink Floyd is it's not everybody's cup of tea because it's kind of it can be a little inaccessible for people who aren't really into prog rock and some of the technical sides of music making. Sure. Yeah, but um, if you were like, "Hey, this is Birdman the TV show," I'd be like, "No, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like because when I go into a movie, I know that whether I love or hate it, it's going to be a two to two and a half hour experience, and I can right. digest it or not. You know, I ended up seeing Birdman twice in the theater. That's how much I loved it. But I, when I first sat down to that movie, I, I was prepared to go either way. Um, and to be honest with you, I think Legion is also one of those proving to me that when I know a show has two or more seasons, it makes me more likely to watch it. Like when I started watching Arrow, um, mm-hmm. it was at least no it was in its fourth season i think when i started watching probably so like i knew that there was at least going to be a few good seasons so the fact that legion got renewed is actually makes me more likely to catch up on the last few legion episodes because i'm like okay there is some structure here because that's always my concern with tv shows it's like are they just fucking with my brain in new ways every week but there's no like master plan um, and by the way, I'm not someone who's a master planist, if you will. Like people <laughs> right. criticar- criticize Battlestar for not having had a master plan, and it certainly suffered for being inconsistent and in trying to explain stuff later that it was totally unable to. Some people will say that they that Breaking Bad, you know, Vince Gilligan had the whole thing planned from the beginning. That's bullshit. That's complete. Yeah, bullshit. I think maybe he had an idea of how he wanted it to end, what the final yeah. scene was. Yeah, but- I think he had the first two or three seasons. But yeah. I don't think he had any idea that Gus was going to be like a four season, uh, you know, three or four season uh, main character or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, my point and being, TV yeah. shows are collaborative, and yes. people are going to come in and out that that are going to have good ideas. And unless you are a complete asshole about being a showrunner, you're going to listen to ideas that you think are good yes. ones, and then the story is going to change. Yes. And I, and I will say, if nothing else, there are people up high at Fox who are probably looking at Legion going, this is absolute shite, why are we paying for this? And then they look at the ratings, both in terms of the critical reception and the fact that a lot of people are watching it every week, and going, okay, we don't understand it, but we're going to let them write what they want, and we're going to keep doing it, you know? And you got to you got to be thankful for that. I don't know who the, who the higher ups are, but you hear about this all the time. You know, they want to tank these shows, but there's such a good reception to it. And whoever's letting the people at FX have creative freedom, freedom with shows like Legion should be praised. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think in FX's case, they also it helps that they have a pre-existing relationship with this showrunner that they have yep. had two seasons already of Fargo from this same guy that did really well. They were critically acclaimed. First season crushed it at the Emmys, and the second season would have in any year other than American Crime Story, the O.J. Simpson deal, mm -hmm. which was also an FX show that basically won the Emmy in every category that Fargo was nominated. So they can't really complain about what he's done, and I think they want to keep the relationship with him strong because they like what he's doing. They also have shown a willingness to roll with shows that get low ratings. I mean, mm -hmm. The Americans has never been a ratings generator. Legion hasn't been a ratings machine. I think it had like a point. It's had a point eight at its highest point. Or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And but FX doesn't care because they get that The Americans is a really good show. Yes. Now they're not going to let it go for ten seasons. They've said, okay, you know, you've got two more seasons. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. And the showrunners are like, that's great. We have two more years. That makes us. It gives us a timeline to, to work towards and wrap it up, but it's not year to year. They've got the commitment, and now they can write the stories and produce the quality yes. TV. Yes. So FX just maybe because it's a cable channel and it doesn't need the same kind of ratings that, say, ABC does, mm -hmm. they seem okay with these shows that are critically acclaimed, win a lot of awards or at least get nominated for them, and don't necessarily get great Yeah ratings I'm now i don't think you man is going to get digital, nominated for anything but digital purchases you cannot rule out i'm telling you there are people sure who buy there's the probably show. secondary ways to make the money back too or at least some of it well not only that but legion's the kind of show that not only do you have a lot of people who are buying it and watching it via amazon prime or whatever mm -hmm. but now they own it and they can watch it over and over again and this is totally the type of show i know you're not someone to rewatch shows a lot but this is totally the kind of show who the hardcore fans would want to watch it over and over again to find new oh, easter eggs and stuff like that you easter know easter eggs hints yeah so my know, guess is even they're if making not comics money. references but yeah, but stuff that somewhere. ties into itself yep. you know yep they're 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 making money on the back end if not the front end as we've talked about and uh it makes me happy honestly i i, I mean you know, I, I could care less whether Into the Badlands continues and is successful or not, but shows like Legion give me hope that there's real creative freedom out there. I mean, honestly, Legion is way more creative than the recent overhyped offerings from HBO, in my opinion. Um, I, I still believe, I mean, I think Game of Thrones is very creative because there really has been very little true fantasy television, and I think it's really well done. I am not so high up on Westworld. I think it's well-executed TV that I've seen before. I'm, I've said it before, there's not much left to say about robots. And what I liked about what Westworld had to say about robots wasn't enough to get me past a lot of the other problems I had recent. with it. I'm thinking recent, Game of Thrones isn't recent, a new edition. Oh, that's what I assumed you were taking a no, shot at. No, you got Westworld sure what... introduced recently. And then what other right. amazing HBO shows have like premiered in the last year or two? I don't really know any. None. I mean, I, yeah. HBO is really rolling with just those two at this point. Right. Um, That's what I'm, I'm giving FX credit. You got Americans, yeah. you got Fargo coming back. You got, I mean, these are all still pretty, I guess Americans isn't a young show. It's still younger than Game of Thrones, but. Yeah, but all of the premium channels, I think, only ever have maybe three good shows rolling at the same time at most. Um, but uh, there was a time when HBO had Curb, The Wire, and The Sopranos going simultaneously. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, that, that's certainly true. 
Um, so, okay. And you know they had Curb and True Blood on time. I think that was they were both Sunday night shows. Okay. Uh, so yeah. All right. Well, uh, I have not much left to say this week. I had some mi- mini topics, which I'll save for later. Um, I was not impressed with Expanse yet again. I know you wanted to just do a little bit on humans because it was the, the wrapping up the season. So you could talk about either or both or neither of, of Expanse or humans. I don't have much to say about Expanse other than I hope it improves from the last few weeks because I'm not super impressed. Yeah, I'm. I, my five cents on this part, uh, is it was great seeing Shoreg Dashlu get more screen time. She'd been kind of minimized in the last few weeks. I when she talks, when she dresses down like Martian soldier dudes. I love that stuff. But one of the things I complimented the show on in the start of season two was converging most of the plots together and getting everybody sort of in one place on one task. And since Eros crashed into Venus and we find out in this episode that that, that story's not over yet, obviously um, everything has started to fragment again. And suddenly the Rosinanti are doing their own thing, and Fred Johnson is doing his own thing with the OPA, yeah. and Bobby Draper is doing her thing on Earth with Christian. And now everything is fragmenting again, mm-hmm. and it it is hurting the narrative. It's making everything yeah. a little bit blockier, mm-hmm. and it's returning it to what it more was like midway through season one yeah. of above average sci-fi, but not stellar. Yeah. But at least he's the one you felt like was leading somewhere. Now I have no idea where it's leading. Um, I will yeah, say, I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't really care about our bet at this point about about <laughs> Draper. Um, I'm going to buy those comic books anyways, so that was sort of an easy bet to lose. Uh, but uh, that being said, I want her to end up with the, the rest of the crew because we saw how much it improved the show when Thomas Jane ended up with them. And so just from a, from wanting to get our main characters together, because it seems to work better when that happens and there's not too many branching storylines that seem disconnected. And I think she would complement the rest of them really well because she would be such a pain in the ass to them, but you know, maybe in a good way. Um, I, I, I'm still hoping that that would happen. It does seem so. I will say, yes, I love more Agdashlu, and maybe there is a budding relationship between Agdashlu and, um, and Frankie Adams, uh, which could be a really cool female, female, uh, relationship, I think. Um, yeah, that's what I'd like to see happen. I don't know if it will. Yeah. Like maybe Agdash Lou for both political and personal reasons is able to get Frankie Adams character, Bobby Draper to kind of open up more and, you know, talk about her trauma and why she's clearly lying for the wrong reasons and so forth. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the direction they'll take it. I, yeah. I still think she's going to go rogue and do something bad. She's going to, kill someone or blow something up on earth and just finally force the war that she's so pissed off. She's getting used to avoid. Um, I'm, but I, I love what she's doing with what she has. She's acting her ass off. I mean, she's sweating, yeah. she's shaking. She's like on the verge of crying. I mean, she's really yeah. acting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I always give char- character props, even if the, if the writing isn't always there, I think they're in a holding motion. My guess is the final two or three episodes are going to be really good this season, but they are, they do seem to be almost like in the later seasons of Battlestar. They seem to be in a holding pattern a little bit. Yeah. Spinning their wheels a little bit while they yeah. wait for, for the big you stuff. know whatever is happening on venus that's going to be a really big deal and i think that's going to change the story dramatically the question i have is whether or not they're going to deal with that at the end of season two or save it for season three right um because i do know the little bit that i remember from what i wikipedia does involve venus and i'm not going to say what it is but it, it, it's 
it's a big deal. Is so it. Well, you basically maybe, just spoiled it because we only know one thing about Venus at the moment. Well, we know that there's like life on that planet, <laughs> and there's like a big cavern. There's more to it than even that, okay. and I'm not going to say what it is, but it's a big enough deal that they might save it for season three, okay. or they might do it as a cliffhanger at the end of season two, but not explore it till season three. Yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said though about not knowing you're going to get renewed. I mean, after season one of Battlestar, I don't think they ever were hundred percent sure they were getting renewed. Um, and I, think, I agree. I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, Legion, well, the British yeah. style has always been one season at a time. Yep. Orphan Black never got never. a commitment more than a year in advance. Yep. And Doctor Who has always been a year to year commitment. I think Orphan Black knew after this past season that they were, but that was the first one that they knew. Well, they had their commitment for season five before yeah. Tatiana Maslany won her Oscar. Yes, yes, yes. God damn, can't wait for that. Um, all right, uh, so you want to give your little spiel on humans and we'll wrap up? Yeah, I, I'm. so it's the final episode, and I'm going to read the note as I wrote it to Jesse of it. what happens in the final episode. pretty great. Yeah, go ahead. So here we go. So, psycho robot kills cop guy, then basically kills cyborg guy, then nice robot kills herself, killing psycho robot, and Carrie Ann Moss leaves the robot company after AI daughter gains enough sentience to basically turn into her mm-hmm. and from uh, the movie with Joaquin Phoenix and take herself off the robot company's servers. But then at the last second, lawyer lady and less psycho lesbian season one robot and nice black guy robot convince lawyer lady's daughter to use the code to bring all the robots in the world to life, thus saving both nice robot and psycho robot who less psycho lesbian season one robot promptly bat- smashes the skull of, thus killing her permanently. Oh yeah, and Cop Guy's robot wife, who's already sentient, is about to kill herself and her robot kid, but he comes to life with all the rest of the robots and screams, and she decides not to kill them both. And all the robots are now like alive and exploring. That's the season finale. I have no idea what the point of this show is. I, I <laughs> better it's b- just better or worse than Caprica. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Well, I quit Caprica after three episodes, yeah, so I honestly really couldn't bad. say. Yeah. I, yeah. Caprica really has nothing good to say about it. This show looks good, and the characters are – some of them are, are kind of mildly compelling. Caprica had nothing interesting happening going for well, it, Well, the in terrorism my thing was interesting, and they just never capitalized on it. Yeah, uh, yeah it just – it didn't seem to go anywhere, and the religion thing never seemed to go anywhere. And the whole – I like – sam adama the brother the like gay gangster guy but it just it got so deep into like torin customs and whatever and yeah i i i pointed this out one of the smartest things battlestar galactica did is wipe out all of its own backstory in the Mm -hmm. first scene basically so everything now is about the trauma of losing that society and building a new one Caprica is just mired in the backstory of Battlestar Galactica, and there is this real question of why should we care? You are all going to get flash fried in twenty years. Yep. And, and what Battlestar did great was they got rid of all the Star Trekky stuff, and the only culture slash planets you cared about were Caprica because it was the main rich planet, and all the 
lead pilots right. and the commanders were from Caprica, and there was like a class thing going on, and that was kind of interesting. And then the Sagittarians, mm-hmm. who are the religious fundamentalists, and that comes into play right. a bunch of times. But that's it. Be- besides that, you don't really care if you're from Pycon or Toron or whatever, you know? Or like, Aralon. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. do you really care no what the Aralon yeah. death funeral thing is? Yeah. I mean, do you give a shit about any of this stuff? I I, this is not the stuff that made Battlestar interesting for I me. Know. Are they making that movie, by the way? Is that happening? That unrelated Battlestar movie? Yeah, probably. God damn it. All right. <laughs> Any uh, happy thoughts to, to end us with here as we, as we close out? Uh, I mean, not really. I, I mean, I, I think go we'll see Beauty and the Beast, everything. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Beauty and the Beast sounds John pretty Wick good. John Wick 2. Go see Logan. John Wick, John Wick 2. Definitely too. check that out. G- yeah. Get out. Yeah. Please go see Get Out. Get Out is yeah. the best thing that's come out this year, in my opinion. Yep. Um, yep. Go see the those best. movies. I, I mean, I haven't seen a movie in a couple of years that I liked as much as Get Out, and I'm not a horror fan. Again, it's not all that scary. Um, so, um, um, all right. So, uh, we are recording this very, very early on Friday, March 24th. This is going to be released Monday, uh, the 27th. I'm going to be releasing my Rogue One commentary i don't want to release two on the same day man but i also want to be the first to release the rogue one commentary so i might have to do both maybe you could really you could release it tomorrow night i know but no one's checking this stuff on weekends is the problem Mm. i could you know what i could do i could just make it available and like searchable tomorrow night and then i'll just post it next like tuesday or wednesday or something okay that's fine um, anyways point being next you'll by the time you're listening to this people it will either be out or will shortly be out my rogue one commentary uh me and my dad are definitely going to be seeing um ghost in the shell not opening opening night the preview night thursday the 30th because i'll be working but friday the 31st so expect a quick reaction podcast to that i'm just hoping it's not terrible like basically i'm just hoping the criticism whatever the criticism is i hope it's about the movie it doesn't cool. become just such a political mind fuck that you know no one can talk rationally about it but knowing our world that's probably what's going to happen sure so and i did come yeah. up with one funny thing to say right you know, at the end I figured out why I hate Ezra Miller's Flash costume so much. <laughs> he looks like one of these reboot fucking Power Rangers. And if they did a crossover between the Snyder Justice League and the reboot Power Rangers, that might actually be fun to watch. It would probably be more fun than either the Power Rangers reboot, which is not getting good reviews, yeah. or the Justice League movie, which I can't imagine. I, I honestly may not see. Well, uh, the Power Rangers has a 44% somehow. And Rotten Tomatoes... That's better than BVS. <laughs> better than BVS. And the critics say Power Rangers has neither the campy fun of its TV predecessor nor the blockbuster action of its cinematic superhero competitors and sadly never quite manages to shift into Turbo for some good old-fashioned morphin' time. So this movie sucks. Don't see it. Better see Ghost yeah. in the Shell, which will at least make you think, even if it's not a great movie. Even Oh, and by the way, that's my last plug. They've got the first four and a half minutes for free online, people. Go watch it, Ghost in the Shell. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. Who cares? At least go watch five minutes of free movie online, because that doesn't happen very often with a Scarlett Johansson action sure. movie. So thank you again, Maddie. Um, anything in addition to these shows we should be looking forward to next week? Or uh, we're pretty much, so we're done with humans. Oh, well, we have the final uh, Legion episode. Yeah, next so, week Legion okay. concludes. That should be pretty cool. So depending on uh, when we record, there is a chance. I, and I Walking can, Dead yeah. season finale will be out okay. this Sunday after you guys are listening to this. Okay. So we'll be talking about that finale yeah. 
probably a week down the line. Sorry, it's a Sunday night show. Yeah. It doesn't quite work with our production schedule, but yeah. we will talk Walking Dead yeah. uh, finale as soon as we can after it airs. I will try to watch the final episode of Legion and maybe the last two. I did save the one from this week, so I can at least be caught up for that. And cool. that is good. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Of course, go to bizzlecast.com, crossingstreamspodcast.com. You can reach me at thebizzle81. And Matt, you are... Matt Goisman, CCT, as in Cape Cod Times. At Matt Goisman, CCT. Shout out to Cape Cod Times. And uh, thank you, listeners, and we are out.